Hey, one special note about this week's episode. If you tune in after, at the end of the episode, there is a special interview with Stephen Pissett, legendary horror comics writer and cartoonist Stephen Pissett, uh, also co-writer of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer monster book, which came out around 2000. Dennis St. John, Horror Comics cartoonist, interviews Stephen Bissett, and it is a fun interview. You'll learn a lot about how that book was created and about Swamp Monsters. The Buffy Virgin podcast is sponsored by horror comics cartoonist Dennis St. John, creator of the weird Lovecraftian horror graphic novel Amelia, which you can order from DennisComics.com. While Dennis is a regular guest on the podcast, we sometimes forget to talk about all the cool projects he's working on, but that is no more. Dennis St. John is now on Patreon, and for as little as $1 a month, you can get access to his sketchbooks, monster drawings, Buffy the Vampire Slayer monster drawings, as well as updates on his convention appearances and comic book progress reports. Now that's for a dollar. For $5 a month, you get access to the Dennis St. John Monster Club, which gives you access to work-in-progress comic pages, as well as uh, some thumbnails. Very cool stuff. And as somebody like myself who's just interested in uh, comics and getting started as an artist, I find this behind-the-scenes stuff very interesting. Dennis shows his process from outline to final ink. So to become a patron of Dennis St. John and to join the Monster Club, you go to patreon.com slash Dennis St. John. That's D-N-I-S-S-T-J-O-H-N. Or to just buy horror comics, because you find becoming a patron of the graphic arts distasteful in some way, you go to DennisComics.com, D-E-N-I-S, C-O-M-I-X, so comics with an X because it's cool, and you can pick up a copy of Amelia or The Loop Guru or any of his other horror comic books. In every generation, there is a virgin. He alone will watch the vampires, the demons, and the forces of darkness for the first time at least once a week. I am a Buffy virgin. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Buffy Virgin. My name is Michael Poli. I'm the Virgin. I've never seen Buffy Vampire Slayer except all the way up to season two, episode 20. Go fish. I say all the way. There's seven seasons plus a bunch of comic books, so there's a lot more to go. Uh, today on the podcast, we have special guest, Donna Almendrala. Is that correct? Hello. Yes. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So Donna's a cartoonist. Um, I'll ask you a few more questions shortly. Uh, also, we have uh, Travis. Hey, sorry. Hi there. Sorry, I was muted. <laughs> okay. Uh, Travis, uh, we have Dennis St. John, a horror comics cartoonist and regular guest. Well, thank you for having me on. Uh, I'm very happy. And John a teacher and Buffy enthusiast. The skin's the best part. Uh, and we're also going to have a special interview with um, Steve Bissett at the end of this episode. So make sure to listen all the way to the end. Steve Bissett, who's also a famous cartoonist. Yeah, he's uh, most famous for uh, Swamp Thing, and he was the publisher of the horror anthology uh, Taboo. He did his own series, Tyrant. Um, he's a really prolific uh, horror writer and uh, movie reviewer. Um, He's a very busy dude. So you did an interview with him before the podcast recorded. Were you talking to him about this episode specifically? Uh, we talk a little bit about he wrote, he co-wrote the Buffy Monster Manual. So we talk about that. And then we talk about um, fish monsters uh, and this episode a little, but mostly just fish monsters. Fish monsters. Awesome. Uh, so Donna, I have to ask you a few questions before we get started. So first, you're a cartoonist. Your website is, what's your website? Where can people see your stuff? You can find my stuff at madmacaques.com. Uh, macaque is a type of monkey, and you can spell it out, and then Google will correct you, and then you can do madmacaques.com. So M-A-C-A-Q-U-E-S. I'm not I'm giving away the Google search, but that's uh, madmacaques.com. 
and this stuff looks really great. It's got, you've got a very interesting style. It's like, I feel very, uh, feels whim- somewhat whimsical. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I would pretty whimsical, uh, in general, just follow my own drum. <laughs> so we have to ask you how you got into Buffy. So I understand you've seen it all. How did you get into Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Was it when you were a kid? Was it late in life? Did you watch it when it was still coming out? Yeah. um, Well, in middle school, I was pretty addicted to the TV. Um, I fell into Buffy when I was trying to tape Dawson's Creek. And (laughs) I accidentally taped Buffy. And it was like during the (laughs) of the summer. And I, so I was probably like 12 years old. And then I ended up watching, like, I probably watched the really heavy episode in season two. You guys probably already saw it. Um, but I just... Passions, maybe? Maybe the one where Jenny Callender gets offed? That's pretty heavy. Yeah. Really, that's I, the heaviest one. Yeah, I really don't remember. It might have been her birthday or something. Um, Surprise. Surprise <laughs> by innocence? Oh, gosh. Yeah, those are heavy. Yeah, but, um, yeah, since then, it was just, like, uh, I kept watching it every week after that. Um, and then somehow I was able to rewatch everything I had missed. So, like, I guess in truth, I really just started at season three. So that was, like, 99. Um, and, yeah, I was just been a huge Buffy nerd. Like, I had no idea Steve Bissett did that monster manual. That's amazing. I had, like, the Watcher's Guide. I, like, had all the DVDs, uh, read the novelizations, <laughs> graphic novels. The, the Watcher's Guide? Is that, like, TV Guide, but for Watchers? Yeah. I, um, I think it was just, like, it was just a fan, like, fan book explanation of, like, important episodes, <laughs> characters. I think it was officially licensed. I don't think it was. Right, uh, right. But it wasn't okay. like it wasn't for story. It was for like us to just yeah. have extra. It was like Giles. It was like Giles's notes for the episodes. So it'd be like <laughs> Buffy really messed up this episode when she didn't consult me before attacking. Now yeah. is there is there like a Xander's book too? Does Willow have a <laughs> pamphlet? Oh no, they don't. But... Willow should get like a series of technical like manuals. Yeah. Yeah, it should all be like old computer printouts that are like jammed into a folder or laminated. Xander's book is just like the like the yearbook with like him circling who he thinks is hot. I don't think there's like a book <laughs> with writing. <laughs> oh right, it'll be Xander's spank bank book or something close like that, and it'll be a picture of every character and uh, why they're yeah how they fit into his fantasies. It should be just have lots of writings that say see you next summer or see you next year. <laughs> have a great summer. Have a great summer. Yeah. Already Buffy with Xander bashing. Already. <laughs> we are locked and loaded. We have been bashing him for the past 12 episodes. Oh, or 20. I'm sure he deserved it. He wasn't so bad last episode. And this one, he's not even that bad. He's, it's kind of fun in this episode. Yeah, he's pretty good in this one. This is like a big Xander moment. So as yeah. we always uh, do here, we have a summary that'll play. We're going to discuss weird noticings, trivia, the questions, themes, predictions, kill count, recommendations, and then goodbye. But it's uh, it's quite a lot of uh, discussion of uh, Go Fish before then. So uh, we'll start out with the summary. 
the Sunnydale swim team is actually doing well this season. They may even win state, if something doesn't stop eating the best swimmers first, leaving only a stinky skin behind. Buffy is assaulted by one of the swimmers, but Snyder, the coach, and the player all blame it on Buffy, so she's really not that sad when he's served up to the mysterious monster like the catch of the day. But Buffy's sacred duty means she must protect the next swimmer who will get reeled in, probably Gage. Xander joins the swim team, and between him and Buffy, they're able to keep an eye on Gage all the time. But Buffy can't protect people from their own inner urges. She does get to see Gage pull off his own skin. Turns out we've been catfished. The swimmers aren't being attacked by creatures. They are the creatures from the Blue Lagoon. The coach is transforming them using Soviet science. This seems a little bit fishy, but he feeds the the nurse to his boys, and not long after, at gunpoint, shoves Buffy into their grotto for a little after-hour swim practice. Rape. I mean rape. Monster rape. Xander is the one who ends up saving the day this episode, and uh, the coach gets quote-unquote fed to the Gill boys, and then they make a break for the ocean. That's it for this one. Let's all hit the showers and wash the smell of this episode off. There were nearly enough uh, fish-related puns in that one. Just barely enough. I really, t- I really tried to tone down my pun level. Um, so, <laughs> uh, Travis is uh, motioning you need to turn it up. There were, all right. All right. What if it's more like, yeah, I also all vote puns. puns. Yeah. Like, no summary, just puns. I just, like, list, like, fish jokes for, like... Like, Dennis just reads, like, Laffy Taffy's into the microphone. (laughs) Dude, I love popsicle humor. Oh, my gosh. Speaking of amazing bad jokes, uh, I saw Buffy the Vampire Slayer Mad Libs in the kids section of uh, Powell's. I'll pick it up, and we'll we'll have to do one. It may have spoilers, Mike. I think you should probably give it to Travis to review. All right, I'll give it to Travis. Travis, you can be the caretaker of the Buffy Mad Libs book. Heck yeah. All right. So what were the lines from this episode that you really loved? So there's a lot of lines here. Can we all just take turns doing some of these lines? All right. I'll do uh, the first one. The creature from the Blue Lagoon is Brooke Shields. That one was a great line. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Should I do all the ones I wrote? Yeah, I guess just do them all. I like your impressions. (laughs) Uh, you know, blah, 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 express their inner halibut. Um, <clears throat> this is another Xander. It's nippy, so say my nips. And uh, uh, <clears throat> from Gage, oh, dude, what is that foulness? Um, and this one is... <laughs> that is a really great Gage. <laughs> this one is from uh, Willow, I think. A hell beast from the ocean depths. Ocean's depths. There you go. Those are mine. Oh, I might have done the skin is the best part also. That one is good. I, yeah, John already could, had, couldn't help himself. He had to get, get that one out. Yeah, I jumped ahead. I also like when Xander says, it's a slap in the face to every one of us that studied hard and worked long hours to earn our Ds, which was me, me in high school can definitely relate to that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, I, liked, I liked Buffy's line when she made a joke, um, something like, so is there a monster with high cholesterol? And then she goes... You're, to Giles, you're going to think about that later and laugh. <laughs> Which is like such an adult thing to tell Giles and to make a joke about. You know, I I got to that part and I I thought, anyone who doesn't like the skin is a monster. 
On fish, though? I'm not sure that I'm into fish. <laughs> no, skin. no, no. They're talking about chicken, right? Oh, that's right. Okay. That's a chicken All right. joke. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so we're going to get into weird noticings and trivia. Uh, John, you had the first kind of noticing here. How many of these throwaway hunky dudes does Buffy need to go through? And that is a this, great question. I mean, I'm not saying it's unrealistic, but like Buffy is constantly being hit on by like really pretty men and she just doesn't have time for it ever. Uh, and it just, it seems repetitive. Not that, I mean, I'm sure that that happens in real life to, to people, but it does seem like it's a lot. You could definitely do an epic season one and season two montage of all of the pickup scenes because it's like, there's plenty of them in the same places too. I feel like there's one that's in the bronze every time. And then there's one in the school. I mean, this one at least has a couple location variations for these pickups. Uh, and then Johnny also post pointed out, I guess Gage is played by Wentworth Miller from Jailbreak. Or yeah, anybody watch, who watches Jailbreak or who has watched it? It's terrible. It's like the worst. Isn't TV. it called He's Prison also Break? On, um, oh, Prison Break. What? I don't know. I don't know what it's called. It sucks. I watched He's like, also on The Flash and DC's Legend of Tomorrow. Is he? Mm-hmm. I watched like 8 million seasons of it um, in like self-hatred, like while eating Cheez-Its and like <laughs> falling asleep. But yeah, it's bad TV. It's really bad. And then Donna, you're calling out cheap Luke Perry. I assume that's Cameron Gage. No, that's um, the guy. Yeah, the other Cameron. guy. Sorry, Cameron and Gage are different people, Mike. Yeah. Oh, they're different? <laughs> yeah, oh, bad. Cameron is the first guy, the one that uh, talks to Buffy and like... They break the nose. Yes. Yeah. Well, so, but Luke, Luke, Perry, Luke Perry is also already the cheap um, James Dean, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. this guy's a copy of a copy. <laughs> well, right. yeah. Luke Perry was in the Buffy movie yeah. too, so it all makes sense. Ah. Yep. Coming first look. Oh, I so can he's see why you're in Buffyverse. Like Gage is his first name, which is... Deeply disturbing. It's Gage. <laughs> uh, and then, Donnie, you're also saying Willow is now a full-time teacher and student. Oh, yeah. Does anyone have problems with that? I <laughs> Yes. I, my yeah. main problem with that is, like, she doesn't have time in the day. So, presumably, Ms. Callender had, like, a full schedule of, you know, five or six classes a day that she was teaching. And yeah. Willow had a full schedule of classes. So, something's yeah. got to give. I don't She's got a time turner. Right, right. Or she's like basically just doing her own like schedule. She's not taking class. She's just learning on her own and like turning in essays and like teaching for free. Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> just, there's priorities. It's another example of like a, a school prioritizing sports or athletes over their education. Yeah, I mean, I have questions about that later, like how common that actually is. I mean, we know it happens, but like, did has anybody else dealt with that? I mean, we can we can wait on that a little bit. Uh, so, my is, question is: this, is, is this the first time we've learned Jonathan's name, or is Jonathan's name said in a different episode? I I can't remember. Yeah, I asked that question also. I don't know. It might be the first episode where we actually find out. We've seen Jonathan many times, but this might be the first time. Maybe they said his name in the name. Mummy episode. Because they're like, they said the name because like, they're like that, um, oh God, I can't even remember her name. The mummy girl. She's with Jonathan. I just saw her with Jonathan, right? Oh. Uh, I think maybe it was from that, but they haven't said his name in forever. Um, Sorry. So, so stupid observation. Uh, I don't think you can be an idiot and also find a naked lady card game uh, in this, during this period of time. I would like to point out that that lady is not naked. <laughs> I didn't look long enough at the game. 
I just just by virtue of it was on TV and you can see the cards. Like that lady's not naked. I don't think. Yeah, it was like a blue bathing suit. Not that I looked. Well, I, that's the non-standard <laughs> solitaire game. I'm like naked. What? I gotta pause this. <laughs> Zoom in and enhance. <laughs> Jinx. Uh, this might be a bigger question, but what do schools get if they win the state championship? Is it worth every ethical compromise? This might be a bigger question. I don't think this is a dumb noticing, Mike. I think that you have stated the point of the episode to a great degree. The silly point of the episode of uh, it's it is worth it, or just that you know this is a silly obsession, or like you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Don, you're su- oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I just I was just saying I don't because I my other high school went to state for football and like it was a really big deal, but I don't know what they got from it. I mean, I assume they got some money because of like increased attendance or something. I don't know. I, I assume it's an end to itself. I don't think uh, no one asks. I mean, it's competition. dude. The point is to win. I don't think anybody asks, what do I get if I win? They don't. I don't know. I do they? I you're asking the wrong guy. I know nothing about sports. Does the coach just get more like prestige automatically? Yeah, just prestige at the high school level. I mean, well, cause they have in, in the college team. level, coaches get paid like way too much. So maybe that happens in the high school level too. Oh, maybe they'll move on to college if they do really well in high school. Is that like the minor leagues? Yeah. Uh, kind of. We know nothing about sports. But <laughs> <laughs> we don't know like anything about how like the programs work, like and how schools work. <laughs> No, no, we don't know anything. We're we're zandering this one. <laughs> so, Donnie, you pointed out the best moments of this show are when Buffy beats up bullies. Yes, the most yeah. emotionally like uh, gratifying, I believe. Uh, basically, when like Buffy does the thing that like Joss Whedon like wrote her to do, I guess, which was subvert the uh, what's the one helpless girl. In the uh, alleyway, basically. Yeah. Yeah, this right. episode has a lot of great, This episode has, like, two really great confrontations. Like, the one with uh, Gage. Is it Gage in the car, right? No, that's Cameron. Cameron. That's Cameron. And then what's the one later? Is it Gage later in the alley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The guy in the alley is Gage. Yeah. Gage. Right. Gage. <laughs> I mean, that's a great scene. I'd like to talk more about that scene, but... Okay, yeah, I wrote something about that in the notes. Oh, good. So okay, cool. Popped up. And then, Dennis, you're saying Sunnydale has a beach, <laughs> so we know it's on yeah, the coast. Sunnydale has one of everything, including a beach, even though that beach is, like, uh, connected to a really giant sewer pipe. Um, so maybe not the f- most fun place to swim. But Oh, yeah, for sure. Considering the, the large poos that must be coming out of that giant sewer pipe. I'm sure it's, like, a, it's a storm drain pipe. And oh, I was picturing like uh, Travis's sewers. shit metaphor coming through that. Well, it was, it wasn't metaphor on this podcast. You're pulling something pregame. Oh, whoops. Sorry. <laughs> that no one's going to understand. Travis, what's your shit metaphor? Tell us all about it. I don't know. What, I, don't, I don't know this joke. It's, uh, it's not suitable for public consumption. Oh, God. You want, who would eat poop? <laughs> I don't. That's why I'm not bringing it up. <laughs> uh, so stupid notice I, like, I like that Jonathan yells for help but also doesn't want help I love that kind of nerd pride it's, yeah it's a great little scene I mean it's He's so sensitive but yet strong 
Right, he Danny probably Stroud. didn't mean to yell help. He probably just came out. <laughs> he just escaped. <laughs> uh, and then, Dennis, you're saying, I like that the monster this week is associated with a smell, foulness. Monsters should and would smell. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just I think monsters should exist. Like, if they're going to exist, there needs to be, like, organic, like, real components. So, like, more often, like, we should talk about how they smell. Like, werewolves probably stink really bad. And, like, this, I don't know, just I like the description of, like, how that flesh stinks and stuff. Yeah, we don't have very many smelly monsters. I feel like this is, maybe, is this the first reference to a monster smell? Maybe. I, yeah. like I think, yeah. I mean, it really hammered it home. Like, it was one of the defining, like, like characteristics of the monster, like, victim killing each time. It always had a smell. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the X-Files bug music. The... Or, that's a terrible version of it. But you know what I mean? Maybe you can play it, cut it in, the real, the real song in post. <laughs> okay, X-Files bug music. Everybody knows what that is. I'll, if, if we cut it in, I'll be right now. John, you know what I'm talking about, right? The X-Files bug music. <laughs> sure I do, actually. Ignore what I just did, because... <laughs> All right. It's it. Every time you see the creature, it comes up. It's uh, it originally is the music originally is in the episode Tombs from X Files, and then it's um, I don't know. Maybe it's not bug music. I just that's what I've always called it. But I think it I'm, can be, I'm it's afraid like a, my knowledge of X Files is failing me. I'd... That's weak. That's weak, John. I know. I'm sorry. How many seasons X Files are there? I feel like that's a pretty big show to just pull an episode reference and expect it to be. But it's it. it I don't know. It's a well-known noise. Yeah, and Tunes is like the ma- one of the major like X Files episodes. I feel certain that if I heard it, I'd be like, "Oh yeah," but I I'm not bringing it up the memory right now. So speaking of not- other <laughs> speaking of other references, Dennis, you're pointing out here that there's a Strangers with Candy like reference. Yeah, the uh, when Cameron bumps into Xander and he's like, "You're lucky I'm hungry." It reminds me of there's a recurring <laughs> gag in Strangers with Candy where like the older brother is like, "You're lucky Dad's here." You're lucky, and it's always something, and it's like he got his shirt caught in the closet, and he's like, "You're lucky the closet's here." <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that like whole like bull- intimidation bully sequence is like so weird too. It's like you're lucky I'm hungry. And then Xander's like, the cafeteria is closed. And he's like, not for me. And you're like, what are you going to do in a closed cafeteria? Like, is there food but, there? I mean, I like, like Xander just, looks like he lost that argument. He's like, oh. <laughs> I mean, I like it. I as think, just I like the weirdness won. of privileges that, you know, all these jocks get. You know, you could uh, rape any of your classmates. Uh, you eat frozen have, french fries. <laughs> <can> eat frozen fries. <laughs> 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 what about all the drama that happens at the soda at the soda machine? I mean, the soda machine has got to be like the most conflict uh, full like spot in the entire high school. Yeah, <laughs> right. Sure. That's where Larry attacks Xander, right? Yeah. yeah. There's all these like there's all the social friction at that soda machine. Right. It's the co- it's like the common area. Like it's like the battleground for yeah. high school students. Where was the battleground at our high school? Was it just the rocks? Was there? <laughs> There the rocks? rocks? No, it was the you smoker's the corner. Rocks, it was the smoker's corner. We, we had a that. famous rock. The rock. I'm sorry, what are the rocks? The rocks over by the library. Everybody knows that. That's where you, things go down. I mean, apparently not everybody. That's an <laughs> Are you talking about the like spray-painted rock? 
No, sorry. This Uh-oh. is a spot in elementary school where things went down. <laughs> well, you said high school, so no. Sorry, the elementary school is so close physically to high school. I associate two places, and I know that so many people in high school called back to the rocks as a location for stuff. This is real life, not Buffy. Was that Smith School? <laughs> yeah. Where are the rocks? They'd be like, Smith School. The rocks. You're lucky like, we're not at the rocks. <laughs> there's just like a few big rocks between the library and like the like the playground area. Is that where the basketball court was? Uh, it's like in that area. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's like a field. Yeah, but there's like a rock there. <laughs> it's a field with a rock. Well, that's the marker that you. Yeah, that's go that's rock marks the spot. Down. I get it. Yeah, we didn't have enough soda <laughs> machines in our schools, so you know. <laughs> So at, at, at the school I went to before I met all of you, um, the only, only relevant soda story is that uh, Crystal Clear Pepsi was the new thing, and they would run out every day, so there's always be drama at the, uh, soda, at the soda machines to get the Crystal Clear Pepsi. Remember uh, when Surge came to our school and was giving, giving away free surges? <laughs> How could I do that? I, I remember your... we ran to different exits to get all the surgery we could. Uh, <laughs> maybe that was just me. I don't know. No, but I, I think we it's... We should have like, held on to it. It's worth money now. Yeah, but it's if like... If only we was, knew. There was an ad campaign that had people running to get Surge, and I think people... We just yeah. took the energy of the ad campaign into our love for Surge. So it was just like living out the ad in real life, and it was absurd I, and kind of rad. I think this, is, this the, is this not the second time that we've talked about Surge on the podcast? I well, think it's second this time. is no, this is a surge. There's there was there was the time Dennis that that you and I called the 800 number on the back of the surge <laughs> bottle and yelled surge into the phone. Oh, what a great prank. We thought we were <laughs> really <geniuses>. clever. <laughs> and, uh, I was playing this VR simulator of 80s arcades and they had a surge knockoff in the 80s uh, VR arcade and I was very very happy about that. I guess you don't know what it tastes like. No, you can't open any. You can't terribly consume things in virtual reality. Not yet. That's that's the next stage. Uh, so, uh, Dennis, your next uh, Cordelia with her. Oh, Donna, do you have a surge story? Sorry. No, I said flavor <laughs> reality. <laughs> Donna, have you ever had? Have you tried surge? I love surge. It was very yes. important to me, but you know, we never. They never gave it to us. It, high school maybe probably illegal at that point imagine how vicious the fights at the uh at the soda fountain would be if they had surge inside instead of orange or grape yeah (laughs) we have diet coke in there too and regular coke i guess yeah is i guess is all buffy is all coke products if there was a buffy restaurant it'd be all coke products cool yes and starbucks One Starbucks. <laughs> so, Dennis, you're saying Cordelia with her, quote, all men are created equal counter argument. Yeah, I don't know. No, uh, that was a great she, moment. And she kind of wins the argument. Um, she does. <laughs> she's a little bit better at this argument than Willow and Sander are. Because she starts off being dumb, but then she completely one-ups. It's great. Mm-hmm. Jefferson owns slaves. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a mic dropper. It is. It's a good scene cut. Um, so I, I like this kind of weird library scene where everybody is tired of Buffy ranting about the injustice. Like it cuts from her ranting about injustice to them, like being exhausted. And it's funny to see everybody like, you know, Giles, 
uh, Xander and Willow all tired of her. Like she's been ranting for hours, I guess. About <laughs> justice is how it appears. Like it's just such a funny cut because you're totally on her side and like righteously on her side. Cause she just like, you know, was punished by the school, you know, basically punished like and treated like she's um, she was victimizing somebody when he was victimizing her and like that misread and then another misread i don't know it's it kind of i like that scene a lot it's yeah. similar to how xander is treated by giles a little later where where xander's like i saw a giant fish monster in the cafeteria and giles is like really which is <laughs> <laughs> really <laughs> uh, yeah he's really everybody's out of patience in the library this episode uh, and then Dennis, your next point here. Uh, Snyder is usually the worst because he's mean to Buffy and hiding the secret of the Hellmouth. This week he's the worst because he's actively supporting rape culture. Mic drop there. Yep. You got uh, it. Yeah. Uh, John says, uh, how many high schools have steam rooms? Does steam do anything for a bruised nose? This is a question for uh, Dr. Travis. Uh, if If I punch you in the face, would you go to a steam room? Is that a thing you do? Um, <clears throat> I wouldn't, I wouldn't seek out a steam room. You can always have, you know, some warm water vapor can sometimes help relieve it more of a sense of relieving pressure, but it doesn't really do a whole lot. I don't think. It but, seems like uh, if he's got a bloody nose, it would only like increase the blood flow, right? Well, uh, for a bloody, I don't want to talk about what you, what you have to do for bloody nose, but I would I will say that most high schools do not have steam rooms since since it's a swim team related question. Um, I can't think of a single high school that I that, or I, that I would think has a steam room. Is but steam you, helpful to swimmers? No, it's like Matt. It's like you know, no, <laughs> it's like air, but hot. It doesn't matter. What if they were going to like um, swim in like the Amazon River? They'd have to like prepare first, right, for the humidity. They'd have to make out their wills and prepare. <laughs> it's not the humidity; you're in water, so you're really, really maxing it out when you're in the water. <laughs> um, it's for that. There's a whole thing. If I, I can get into a whole thing about swimming in pools versus rivers versus oceans, because that's a whole different bag of fish. <laughs> but that can be saved for later. Like a bag of fish you win at a carnival? Some, yeah, I guess. That, that, those are like the nice fish. I'm thinking of scary fish. I mean, I'm not surprised at the end of this episode, nasty-ass fucking monsters swim out into the ocean because that's what lives in the ocean. <laughs> monsters. Uh, John, you're riffing on an old thing here, but uh, we just mentioned. What does one eat in a closed-down high school cafeteria? Yeah, that, we, I mean, we already we already raised this, but like, yeah. when the cafeteria is closed, it's not like ready to eat food. I don't think. Great big can of beans. Open it up. Oh, he's eating pudding. There's funyuns and pudding oh, that's cups. Right. And <laughs> pudding. There's funyuns. Oh. Just riffing on what was in our cafeteria. We had funyuns. I never. I don't think I ate one meal in the cafeteria the whole there time. There was a cafeteria. Yes, there was a cafeteria, Dennis. We never oh. went there. We just went to your mom's yeah. house. Yeah. Uh, I forgot we had a cafeteria. (laughs) Wow. You guys like went home for lunch, basically? We lived in a bubble. That's nice. That's fairly nice. It's insane. (laughs) Did you have to eat at school every day, Donna? Yeah, for sure. But like, I have a hard time like remembering like how I fed myself in high school. (laughs) Like, (laughs) wow, you're drinking beer and wine. That's amazing. 
Or was someone else drinking beer? Somebody else. Another another white guy. <laughs> oh, my bad. <laughs> Cut that out. Cut that part out. Yeah, so... so now he's drinking um, juice. Now this, no, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. So, we, we, so, yeah, our high school was weird, Donna. We, um, we had an hour for lunch, and you could go home because there was no school bus system there because it was everyone lived within, quote, walking distance. Um, so there was all kinds of shenanigans that happened at lunch. And yeah. as well as meal fulfillment um, as well. But you could go to somebody's house and watch the same episode of Golden Boy every day if you wanted yeah. to. If you wanted. So the, we have a lot of Taco Bell memories from high school that happened during lunch. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we at my other high school, we had a closed camp. We had a closed campus. Um, but before I got there, it was an open campus. And like... Students misused the privilege too much, so it got shut down. But there was a story of, like, no Bloomington High School South, like, students were allowed in Fazoli's because, like, all they do is order breadsticks. <laughs> in fairness, as an adult, that's what I did in that exact Fazoli's. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like somebody at lunch, like, yeah, you would do dumb stuff. Like, I remember people, like, were stealing the stand-ups from the Star Wars reissues that were in theaters that Taco Bell had, and that would have been a lunchtime thing. <laughs> And like, I feel like those stand-ups ended up back at school. You know what I'm talking about? Well, do you remember the robot trash can at Taco Bell that is yeah. still blowing my mind? <laughs> yes, the automatic robo trash can. Totally. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, all those things that happen at lunch. Um, so uh, my next comment here, um, being in pools is shameful. But we all do it. I feel like... I don't like Willow's reaction to pain. I'm sorry. Can we test this? Do I'm we sorry. all do that? Because I don't. I would. You never, I have. never have. You never I'm, have. No. I mean, not in recorded memory. I, you guys are all liars. Everyone pees in the pool. This is, I, this is so <laughs> terrible. I don't know if you're going to make this happen, Mike. I, no. <laughs> I will, I will come down on Mike's side. I have definitely peed in the pool. Okay, I mean. Donna, you're the uh, deciding vote here. Do you yes. pee in pools? Um, I've peed in the ocean. That is not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's equally weird. <laughs> I'm not sure it is. No? Well, the ocean's the ocean. It's, um, but swim, oh, good but point, pools John. have like chlorine. They're like right. very protected from bacteria. <laughs> the ocean is the ocean. Fish uh, pee in the ocean. Um, I guess the question uh, for Donna is, now, were you in a heavily populated area of the beach, or was it uh, fewer swimmers in the ocean when you peed? Oh, there were because that 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 that's ninety nine percent of it. Well, the one time we were like out in the ocean because we were on a boat, and then we had like jumped off, and so like there were four of us, and everyone like oh, swam in different directions to go pee. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, then the other was it like I- dead calm. Uh, yeah, it was pretty calm, but everyone was just like, it was like the thing that everyone was doing. So I was like, I guess if everyone was doing um, it. What pool did you pee in, Mike? I feel like all of them every time. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> no, who, who instructed you on this? No, just, was this the yellow pages? I mean, where did you find this information? I just know that I peed in pools and that doesn't like mentally isn't that crazy to me. Wait, did like you pee? Child, did you maybe. pee in the old river pool? I'm sure I have. Yes, so about, what about now? Weird. No, I haven't done it in years. Like, say you go to a hotel, Mike. Are you hitting the <laughs> pool before you hit in the bathroom? 
No, I mean, I'm not, I don't feel like I do it. As a, <laughs> you check in, you're like, where's the pool? I, I just don't think it's as, I think it's like more common and less shameful. I don't know. I didn't. I have, I, I have a very distinct memory of peeing in a pool in middle school because we had just jumped from the, we, we were doing the thing of like going from the hot tub to the cold pool and back and forth. And it was like freaking my body out. And I remember being like, all right, I'm just going to pee. I can't handle this. This is too much for me. <laughs> That's the last time I remember peeing in a pool is I think that was in middle school. It was with my friend, Ben speaker. Wow. He also peed, I think. I mean, I we think didn't discuss more, it. There's like more shame in peeing in a pool nowadays, just because there's that chemical that'll like change, like so that people can see if someone did it, and then like then everyone gets out. <laughs> Wait, is that real? I yeah. think so. I mean, yeah, I don't I, know that everyone uses don't it. Don't tell Mike. <laughs> not going to catch me. I'm not going to do it again. Right? <laughs> I'm experiencing shame now in seeing that there shouldn't be shame. And people saying there should be shame. But I just feel like it's something that people do. Like everybody does. I don't know if you should be ashamed. I think kids do it. Little kids do it. I don't know if you should be ashamed so much as I just don't want to necessarily lie and say, oh yeah, we're all doing it. Because I don't feel like What about peeing in the shower? (laughs) No. There's a whole Seinfeld episode about this. Okay, we don't have to get into it. Uh, So John, you're saying uh, you're pulling out the display case of animal crackers at the bronze. What, do we want to talk more about it? You guys are laughing. No, we're good. I just, I just, it's just, you know, as the host, you have the um, perhaps self-serving ability to move on. That is we don't true. All, we don't all enjoy. Oh, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm totally willing to talk about animal crackers. There's a, uh, like a weird, like cake display thing in the bronze and it's full of boxes of animal crackers, which is just a thing that I was noticing. That's all. Is that a reference to uh, Oz who hasn't been in a few episodes? Yeah, maybe. Maybe it uh, has to do with his uh, animal cracker observation. Maybe that's where... Because they were eating animal crackers. Was it in the bronze? No, that was in the cafeteria, wasn't it? That was at the school. Yeah, but I associate Oz with monkeys and animal crackers. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's just a a little love letter to our missing friend Oz. Yeah, like we can't pay Seth Green to be here for this episode, but we can fill this case with animal crackers. <laughs> The only food Oz eats. <laughs> but is it, wasn't that Seth Green's contractual payment? Was animal crackers at the time? <laughs> That's one theory. I was thinking, maybe if there was like and a Arby's. package full of yeah, rally burgers. Yeah, yeah rallies, not, sorry, not Arby's. Uh, John, you point out, how did nobody notice before that Xander is pretty? I'm sorry, Xander's a very pretty man, and uh, it's not like hidden through most of the show. And everyone's like, whoa! Because <laughs> he wears baggy clothes. He yeah, hides. He's, he's, he wears terrible clothes. He's pretty head to toe. He's not like. It's not like he has like a schlubby face and like you know six pack abs. Like he's he's pretty. It's pretty all over. Yeah, mm-hmm. but he's had a terrible personality for like twenty episodes. Oh, it's because he's not talking. That's what it is. Because for five seconds yeah. he's not saying anything, and it was like, what? He's underwater. Noticed, have you noticed that that creepy guy is hot? Like that's what yeah. it is. It's, yeah. That's, well, I like that. That's a good call. Cordelia apparently just doesn't look look at men's men's faces also for like a long period of time wait okay but let me i need to jump on this pretty thing if john is finished uh yeah there's a follow-up question but uh oh. that's not it's we can definitely catch that up in a sec oh uh so pretty usually like refers to like the face 
I'm gonna I'm just gonna say that. Really? A pretty a pretty person. Yeah, I think so. But I think So like we've never seen Xander's body before. Right. Or naked body. And like naked body just with speedos and glistening with like swim pool water. So I mean it was very a hint of urine. I'm just saying (laughs) it should maybe not be a radical surprise. Not that it's not like his face and body don't match. They they match, I think, reasonably. Yeah. It's a it's such a fun female gaze scene. I don't feel like we've had one like that so far. Well, right? yeah, I mean, we oh, I guess the about... college guys. There was definitely a college guys like whoa scene uh, before they went to that frat party, whatever that was. And we yeah. see well, we see a lot of angel skin. That could be male true. gazy. Oh, true. What does yeah. uh, Cordelia say? <laughs> Hello, salty goodness about him. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, when it comes to, like, the the uniform for swimmers, like, why is why is the men men's uh, uniform just basically their underwear? It's, like... Travis. It's really, like, revealing. <laughs> yeah. You feel, yeah. like, looked upon. Uh, so, there is that. Well, it's a lot of it's to do with drag, and... Um, you know, so, you know, the less drag you have on your body, the faster you'll swim. So, you know, in the olden times, you know, in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, they'd wear these much larger suits, but it had so much drag. So they just got rid of that. So many people drowned. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, when you practice, you don't necessarily wear these skin tight um, underwear or skin tight uh, uh, swimsuits. When you practice, you wear baggier suits and a couple different suits on top of that for drag and privacy. And then when you actually swim, compete, you do wear these very tight suits, the men and women, but everyone has them on. So it's not like a really big deal and you kind of have a lot on your mind. So when you're down there, it's not, you know, so uh, perverse. A question though, are there swim groupies? Are there people who are just there to look at the boys swim? I don't know. I don't, don't think so. You were totally, totally focused on winning, winning the meets. They're like all day affairs that, that are in like sweltering hot, you know, pools, at least in the Midwest. So they're not like really enjoyable to be there if you're just a spectator. Um, but yeah, to get, I mean, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, the, there certainly is for the Olympics. That's a whole different thing. So Donnie, well, so, oh, go ahead, sorry. Well, so should Sander have been like completely shaved then? Because did you guys notice he had no. a little bit of like chest hair? <laughs> <laughs> it seemed he seemed like really sha- It seemed. Are you saying he seemed more shaved than than you would expect? Um, I, I thought he would be completely shaved. Oh no, you wouldn't do that unless you're going to a meet, an, an mm. important meet. So maybe two, uh, three times just a year. Practice. Yeah, just practice. You don't. Yeah, you don't. Uh, so then, Donna, you're saying this is uh, the iconic Xander in a Speedo? This is an iconic shot? I think so. I think this is like a moment of Xander hotness that has not existed before, as John pointed out. <laughs> uh, man, I want to predict there will be more moments of Xander hotness. Okay, I'll throw that in the predictions later. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And everybody know, will know what I mean by that. 
Uh, so Dennis, you're saying the angel scene this episode is really similar to Angel meeting the werewolf, and surprisingly small screen time for how late in the season it is. Yeah, for Angel. Yeah. yeah. So Do we want to talk about this more, scene? There's only two more episodes left, right? Yeah, two parter. Yeah, and we got to resolve and wrap up this Angel Buffy story. Uh, I agree. <laughs> And it's also, I mean, it's just like this thing they do with Angel in episodes where he's not the main character, where they're just like, we'll have him attack a minor character or something. But like, he, he usually ends up like losing, like where he's like, hey, the werewolf, oh, the werewolf's a little scarier than me. Like, I'm going to bite you. Oh, your blood tastes gross. Like, I don't know. It just for him being the big bad and everything, like, he just has, I've, I've mentioned this before. He has such a like poor track record of actually like successfully killing people on screen. Yeah, but he, it's such a he fun. tosses gauge though like it's such a fun sequence though right because like you know gauge has basically kind of rejected buffy and then angel's there to talk talk shit about her and like just immediately they're good buddies immediately they're sharing the same things about how like how terrible she is or whatever like and plotting to kill her <laughs> like like <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, into that. Yeah, dude. Dave is like 10 <laughs> seconds away from like possibly trying to murder someone that just hit on him. Like Accessory, accessory to murder. He's 10 seconds away from being ex- an, an accomplice. And, and maybe I got a really good what, prank idea where we kill her. And maybe that's just how high school students are. I do feel like high school students are probably like 15 seconds away from being a murder accomplice just from like the right older person presenting the right dilemma to them. Right. Anyway. That that's a fun scene because it like has some it like inverts like twice in the scene like your expectations of where the scene is going because like Angel you know eats well tries to eat him after like befriending him like maybe he'll kill Buffy with him and then like nah gonna bite his neck <laughs> and then Angel can't drink his blood because it's full of bug juice or whatever and then <laughs> Buffy shows up saves the guy and he's like can you take me home can you walk me yeah. home yeah yeah <laughs> I like his complete re- reversion to like being like Buffy's like lap dog or whatever. Just like, oh. it's a great scene. It's got so much going on. Uh, Dennis pointing out Xander is terrible at being a jock. Yeah. I mean, he's still Xander. I just like, I feel uncomfortable with how much he's talking to the swim team, to the rest of the swim team. And I'm like, <laughs> just shut up a little bit. Like you're not around your friends right now. Stop being this. <laughs> I, I bet that was what it was like when Mike was on the football team. <laughs> I was only a football team for one year, and it was terrible. Was it like that, where you're like, hey, fellas, here we are in the locker room. (laughs) How about that football? Throwing it. And catching it. (laughs) I mean, there's a little bit of that because, you know, you train as a freshman with all the, like, every level, every grade level trains together, more or less. So, like, there is a bit of, like, what are you idiots talking about? Except it's the 90s, so everything's just, like, everybody's just a fag just that world um anyway we can revisit that later in this episode so uh dennis points out gauge's transformation sequence is a plus can i talk about the look of the creatures absolutely it's just it's a great transformation sequence the peeling and i just oh do you guys smell that oh ah, i'm feeling sick hold on Wait, so does he smell himself? And scene. 
Oh. Uh, all right. My kingdom for a video podcast. <laughs> uh, that joke was just for you guys. Wow, that was incredible. I will definitely pull out that clip for this episode. That was good. Uh, yeah, I just... I. <laughs> I really like the creature design this episode. I talk about it more with Steve about Fishmen in general, but I think it really stands out from the rest of the monsters this season. Um, it, it's like it's very creature from the from the Black Lagoon, obviously, uh, but it's also got its own weird stuff. Like it's got like a uh, catfish mouth, and the it's got like three spines, like or three spikes at the on its top of its head. So that, that's what I, it's. I think uh, like. <laughs> I'm sorry, I got a little I'm a little energized from doing that. No, that's uh, great. <laughs> All right. You should do that every day as like a like a therapy thing. <laughs> I, video call. When I bought when I bought this mask, sorry, I dropped some stuff. I did wear it around the house by myself for like a half hour and like couldn't see anything. <laughs> uh, I was like, this breathe? is my true self. Yes, yeah, love it. <laughs> Is it like really tight around your uh, head? Yeah, <laughs> I bought the largest size, but my head is still too big for it. <laughs> that that transformation sequence is awesome. It's very '80s. It's all practical. It's like they would never, no one spend the time and money to do that now. It's just like a really like loving scene. Like they spent more time and energy to make it good than they needed to. It's like more than yeah. it deserves. It's just so good the thing of like that shot of his hands and like you can see his fingers falling off and stuff like i don't know they really built those yeah uh, <laughs> and they totally covered in his like fake skin and like just a ton of like ky jelly or something like it's vaseline it's so like slimy and you really are like yeah that would totally smell that would be a very stinky like pile of skin uh, well, you have a follow-up comment here uh, that you love the look of the scene of Buffy in the Creature's Grotto, probably one of the show's best yeah. monster scenes, but any self-respecting fish monster would attack from below. Yeah, they totally like have Buffy at a disadvantage, and then they all just stand up to attack her, and she's able to toss them around and stuff. But if they just pulled <laughs> her down into the water, they would have won. Uh, but just like, it's like almost like... Uh, the shot from like aliens with like um you know the girl in the water from that it's like this like great set it's really well lit and it's just like it's i don't know this is like a really weird episode to me like both because of like all the rape culture stuff we'll get into later and like it's like right in the middle of this what should be a big arc about angel but it's just like it takes a break from it but then it's like also the monster stuff is like really good so like there's just it's a weird episode uh, no, it's, I, I love the monsters in this episode. I'm glad you are spending the time with them to talk about them. John, you have a fun point here. Would Xander have attacked the coach if he hadn't been huffing fish DNA? <laughs> yeah. So like, there's a moment where, you know, the, the coach pulls a gun on him and Xander is like, ah, no. And he like attacks him. I have a hard time seeing Xander doing this except for the fact that he's on what they thought were steroids, but it turns out it's like, you know, fish DNA steroids. So he's, Yeah. He's getting better at fighting. I mean, he fights the uh, the mommy protector in uh, the yeah. beginning of the season. It just when Xander acts aggressive in this episode, it kind of calls it into question. We mm. normally do that. Yeah, it doesn't. Why does <laughs> would he normally have just died? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like Giles needs to, he's, needs to spend time training Xander and Willow. And totally, Xander, I agree. Like Xander's been like getting into fights constantly, 
like this past season, like, and being helpful. Like I, you know, he definitely, like we see both sides. Like there's definitely been a scene. I feel like just last episode, episode before whatever, when Xander needs Buffy's assistance, but like when they throw, you know, he throws a bag over Angel's head, you know, and like they start smacking yeah. the board. Like he's still kind of fearless. And that was- I think he's been leveling up. Like he'll never be good enough to fight a monster on his own, but he's like good enough to fight like a regular human. Right. Right. Like that's such a weird fight scene too, because it's like rare when the show pulls, pulls like a gun out and as part of the fight. And like, it's, I, I do prefer it when like there's no guns in Buffy just cause like the gun is just like a Trump. It takes it to a level where like, well, I can't fight a bullet. <laughs> Like going that fast, so I, yeah, maybe it does make sense that Xander like fights well versus the human element of like situation. I think Xander's just leveling up because like there was they don't really cut to any like moment where he was like ah or like looking in the mirror and sweating or something, <laughs> you know, reacting to the drug. The yeah. power, the fishy power. Yeah, he's kind of a hero in this one. I don't know if you're gonna. Too much bashing. <laughs> True. Uh, so, uh, Dennis, you're saying here, uh, considering the coach really fucked up his plan, his pride is completely undeserved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, just his ego. Considering, like, even if his plan's doing well right now, he's he's lost the first the top like the top four swimmers. So he has to like his plan going perfectly well without Buffy fucking things up is still like him still probably losing state, right? Like, <laughs> right. Also, like, I know that, like, he has this, like, you know, fatherly affection for the fish monsters because he's their coach or whatever, and he's trying to keep them. But what's his long-term plan for them? Is he just going to keep dropping women right. in hole forever? Is that- <laughs> yeah. I was shocked that they were still, he was keeping them around. Like, was he going to, like, try to dress them up as humans so that they could still swim in the <laughs> I mean, oh I guess man, yeah. Put skin, put the right? skin back on. <laughs> Gage, you're okay. <laughs> Just put a speedo on him. I think Gage would have the same amount of personality. Right. Uh, so is the fishman? I guess let's get back to the fishman later because I have a comment about that too. I I love this coach because I he's totally dumb and focused on winning. He just feels like this feels like an eighties like Revenge of the Nerds style like movie. Just like it's such a super dumb like that's where that character feels from him and the nurse both feel like they're from a dumber eighties comedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's the, he's the coach from like uh, um, from Karate Kid. He's the Cobra Kai coach. Oh yeah, totally. He doesn't care. Whatever it can we, takes, can, we got to win we, this one. Can we talk about how the nurse is complicit in the plan, even though she's a victim ultimately? But it feels yeah, like she, she clearly is complicit. She knows, yeah. Because mm-hmm. that whole argument where he's like, you're a quitter, which assumes he's, she was part she of the was, team to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's how well, he's getting the drugs, right? Yeah, she's like injecting the boys, taking care of them. This weird coach-nurse scenario. But the coach does not give a shit about her. <laughs> It's just like, now you're going to take him away from me. Yeah. Boys have needs. <laughs> ah. <laughs> He's just such a dumb caricature. <laughs> kind of, he is. He's the worst. He could be, uh, I mean, thankfully he's not the villain for the entire season and they just take him care of him. Cause like, this would be a, t- I also, I, I, 
after writing these notes, I rewatched the episode and I noticed this time, like when Xander sneaks up on him, it's because the coach is watching the boys attack Buffy and he's like, hey, it's like, that's so disgusting. He's going to watch his like kids rape this girl. Like uh, he's the worst. Uh, Are any Soviet Union training drugs being used by high school students? Is there any real scandal around involving that? Did anybody Google anything? Travis is not yeah. yeah, there was this there's a systematic uh 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 doping of performance enhancing drugs in uh East Germany, most famously in the nineteen eighties and seventies, and it's a huge scandal. Uh and um many athletes didn't were not awarded the Olympic medals they deserve. And most recently in two thousand fourteen in the Olympics in uh, in Russia. Uh, there was an additional huge uh, world, uh, a huge uh, Russian um, doping scandal that was uh, then published um, by the New York Times and uh, the World Anti-Doping Organization. I remember reading about banned. That um, uh, they banned. They recommended a ban of Russian athletes in the 2016 Olympics. Um, ultimately, many banned athletes um, or athletes that had tested positive uh, for performance enhancing drugs did end up competing um, in that Olympics. So are they high school students? I mean, Olympic athletes. No, no, no. I thought you were just asking about the the history of that. So that's where it comes from. So the the episode has this basis in reality where there was truly systematic at all levels in East Germany for doping. So that's where part of this, Magic come. From, that's part of where the premise comes from. This, from this episode, also you can you can date when this episode happened because the Soviets were the bad people. So it's anywhere from the 1970s to the late 1990s, <laughs> and then American cinema got new bad, new bad uh, foreign powers. Somewhere around 2001, for some reason, the bad guy changed. So, yeah, if anybody was involved, if uh, any high schools were involved with the Olympics at all, then, yes, they were absolutely using Soviet drugs and training, um, whatever it takes. And who knows, yeah, what the Soviets put in their drugs. Um, so this comment's back <laughs> up a little bit, but um, Willow totally has a future as a dominatrix. When I saw the, like, the interrogation scenes and then her glee at being able to perform another interrogation, <laughs> like kind of the caricature of an interrogator she plays, like she would love it. She would be a great dominatrix. She has a- Is that a prediction, Mike? I think that should go in predictions. I, I don't think this show is going to do that. I'll predict that she's not going to be a dominatrix on this show. But uh, you know, she should. <laughs> but be. in real life, Willow Rosenberg, the character. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's a direction they should take the character based on these interrogation scenes, but I don't think they're going to do that. So no, no, there'll be no Willow dominatrix scenes. I'll say that. All right. Let's put that in the uh, predictions. And, and there will be Xander. Um, uh, ogling at Xander scenes. More of those. At least 10 more of those. Uh, uh, don't quote me on that. No, you're not 10. Uh, Dennis, you have another monster point here. This season has featured a mummy, a Frankenstein monster, a werewolf, vampires, and now, finally, Gilman. That is the first Universal Monsters lineup. Yep, we've reached Universal Monster lineup. I'm excited. It's impressive. It all happened in one season. 
You gotta uh, see them we all. Had, we had the Nightmare on Elm Street monsters already. Uh, gosh. I feel like there's so many. Yeah, next, next uh, we got to collect all that. Now we've collected all the Universal monsters. We got to collect all the slashers. So we got <laughs> oh Freddy. Oh, gosh. Hockey mask. We, <laughs> yeah, we got to go for Jason and Michael Myers um, to complete that set. Yeah, they already had a puppet, like a creepy puppet master one, nightmare one. Yeah. Uh, had some exorcist style ones. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the show isn't lacks on ex- exorcist style so the show kind of lacks vampires at the moment <laughs> <laughs> is there going to be dinosaurs on this show i want to predict dinosaurs they're going to fight a dinosaur oh that's <laughs> exciting and i i will i guess the judges will help view that but like that could be a compi it could be a raptor it could be a t-rex just they'll fight a dinosaur okay. i will point out i don't think travis would watch this show if it had compies <laughs> thank you dennis um, is that a so, phobia the little chicken ones they are they're like they're they're like land piranhas okay i, I i've never <laughs> you know, they're terrifying they're, they're so small and they they hate you. I, they hate human i've flesh. seen travis jump out of a uh video game jeep because of copies oh okay Wait, there is that one Jurassic Park where like someone is eaten by them, right? Yeah. The so, second one. The second, the second one, yeah. One. Yeah, the blonde from Fargo. <laughs> uh, Dennis, oh, so Donna points out, male privilege is being a literal fish monster and still being referred to as a boy. That was shocking to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the coaches. I guess we sort of talked about that. The coaches, like, boys boys have needs. The boys need to eat. How are you doing, boys? The boys, boys will be boys. <laughs> boys will be boys. <laughs> and he's talking to fish. He's talking to <laughs> fish monsters. <laughs> yeah. I want to know at what point, like, because when they turn into fish monsters, they're not talking anymore, but, like, like two minutes before the transformation, could Gage talk? Could he be like express like opinions and stuff? Or like at, at what point do you like? Is it just when the skin comes off that you like lose your humanity? Because presumably inside you're becoming fish, right? Well, like, didn't he like smell something before he turned into a? Yeah, I think he was like... smelling his own smell. <laughs> Those are some crappy final words. Yeah, what is that smell? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> and i think we've made allusions to this throughout but donnie point out this is a very x-files episode of buffy absolutely this right. feels very x-files monster of the week especially that ending yeah uh <laughs> yeah, i'm watching my i'm watching my buffy bingo right now speaking of ending um that uh how long did the fish athletes last do you think when they go to sea how do they survive and do they mate what do they what do they do? Are they how long do they make it? Uh I think they look like they're terrible ocean swimmers at the end. Like uh but I'm gonna assume that they get better at swimming in the ocean. Um and I think they'd last uh, a life cycle. I don't think that they're gonna successfully mate, but they're gonna try really hard. Like they are gonna fuck a porpoise. Like that is gonna happen. But um <laughs> they'll last I think they'll last like a good twenty years. 
I'm, I'm waiting could for that just, fish. Like, spread. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I just think they could just like spread like their like fish sperm all over and then see if it ever fertilizes anything. That's how spawning works, right? Okay, let's like talk much... about how like the fishmen will probably not rape anything. <laughs> Because yeah, because they're, they... yeah. <laughs> they're, like, they're fish. They're fish boys. Like, they're like gil, the coach, gil the boys. coach is boys just projecting. Boys. The coach projecting. I want to rape Buffy, but I'm gonna have these fish guys <laughs> do it for me. Who <laughs> are like not interested? <laughs> oh man, um, I might say this to recommend. No, uh, there's a if. There's a movie Humanoids from the Deep that's kind of like got Gilman in it, but it's very explicitly about like them trying to have sex with humans because they need to like <laughs> that's the only way that they can like have their next generation is by like half fish Ugh. monster half human. Yeah. <laughs> so it could happen. Oh, for sure. I mean, so many kinds of fish in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> that's a but- great that's a great quote. I love it. <laughs> but like the thing that also bugs me, if we're going to get into like the real political stuff about it, is that the nurse is the food. And I think it's offensive that like the nurse is the food and Buffy is the sex. Because like, why should they care if the nurse is the food or the sex? It's- yeah, <laughs> true. That's totally the, the coach, like making those weird decisions. Like Right. <laughs> This coach, so many problems. Yeah, he's a lot of ethical boundaries. He's like weird also, boundaries. Those fish barely ate the nurse at all. They took like three <laughs> bites out of her. <laughs> yeah, what a waste of a life, really. It was for oh, food. I just realized they all lost their cafeteria privileges down there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm ready for the fish monster comic to come out that just explores these gentlemen's adventures in the ocean. I feel like there's already a lot that we've explored here, and I feel like there could be a whole universe of stories about these characters. You know they're not the only aquatic monsters around Sunnyvale. There's got to be at least a couple more. Oh, my gosh. There has to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's got to be Cthulhu monsters. Oh, yeah. Of in course, the sewer a, somewhere. A sentient octopus-like creature down there. Uh, this is a dumb observation, but how often in Sunnydale do people need complete blood transfusions? I'm guessing <laughs> somewhat frequently. Well, I think that they really passed up like a potentially useful thing where they realized that they these guys are unpalatable to vampires. Like, is there a balance of like a little fish DNA, like not enough yeah. to make you a monster, but enough that you're not? You gonna sound just fire? like the coach. <laughs> He just wants to win state. You just have to win. <laughs> yeah, if you know, if he worked with the nurse more, they could have perfected the formula, right? Or if like, I just oh, he need to get close. the he mix was... right, <laughs> the, the right mix of fish drugs. Supposedly, the Russians got it figured out, right? Like, no. Um, anything else in observations before we go to questions? Cool. Questions. John says, okay, everybody's experiences in high school sports. I've already been stated. Yeah, I have zero. (laughs) So this is a question for not me. Well, I had freshman football. I did that for sure. That was an entire year. 
but then I stopped doing it. I think I've even brought this up because Buffy hates sports, so sports show up so negatively. I stopped doing that because my dad was sent me so many negative articles about people getting injured, uh, like they're getting concussions, and then that leading to future brain damage um, and other. He was like, right. He's totally right. Uh, I did drama every year after that, and that was uh, its own wonderful world. So I did. Plays and, and musicals. Damaged you in other ways. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> damaged me socially. Uh, I crave the approval of others more than anything. <laughs> Donna, did you, uh, did you participate in sports? Um, well, I was in high school marching band, which is <laughs> technically part of the athletic program. <laughs> and music program because we marched and we got PE credits for it like and you had to go to all the football games presumably yeah uh we were good we we got to play uh like the fighting irish song and then if if the drumline started the cadence too fast then the the cheerleaders had to do the movements like really fast it was really (laughs) awesome um but yeah uh that's like my literally no sport experience in high school, but what what does what did the marching band think of the football team? Um, were, were you all like, of, man, I don't even have to be here today if there wasn't yeah, a football it, game? It was a lot of contempt. <laughs> uh, we were mad that we, well, because we use the football field like maybe like three times a week for like nine hours a week. And, like, it was kind of weird that, like, it was really a football field and not a marching band field. <laughs> like, um, yeah. Um, it was probably one of the better, like, high school experiences, though. So it was one of those uh, – one of the sports that I would recommend. <laughs> it's not a sport. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Travis, we know you were oh, on yeah. the swim team. You guys I was on the swim team all four years. Amazing. Amazing. The captain. Do you still swim? I don't. I don't still swim. That's more mm-hmm. of a time issue now. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say that the the swim how the swim team is portrayed in this episode is not at all like <laughs> what it's like in real life. So you don't feel like a motherly affection for the ocean? Oh no, the ocean's where sharks live. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, outside, outside of a certain, I forget which James Bond movie made me afraid of indoor pools. Uh, but there's this famous, <laughs> there's this famous James Bond movie with Jaws, and like, there's anyways, yeah. it's like he has this layer underwater. That was the first problem, and then, oh, um, yeah, yeah, you remember this? They they raise some like tank up, and yeah. anyways, no, I, I, the, the ocean's just full of sharks, and right. you know, and uh, there's lots of shark attacks. Um, yeah. So the, with pools, you know, there's indoor, there's outdoor. Um, you know, we grew up in the Midwest. So most pools were indoor and that's where you'd practice, you know, nine, nine months out of the year. The other three months, if you're lucky, you get to practice an outdoor pool. Outdoor pools are nice. They can get a little buggy. Um, like bugs will fly into the pool by accident and float around. You know, you got to keep the pool clean. Thankfully, there were never snakes. Although Ooh. I was always afraid of snakes slithering into the pool. Um, that was kind of at the downside of the out- outdoor pools, but rarely keep happened. keep the pool uh, clean, eh, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> and there are these, and there are these jagoffs just pissing in the pool. 
I've totally swam in like uh, creeks in Indiana that had like water snakes in them, and you're like, ah, yeah. oh, fuck! Like the snake is coming at you. That's a scary. Oh my god! Yeah. Um, How do you yeah it was fun. You Swimming just dive was... under. <laughs> <laughs> no, you just went to shore. I don't know. I think diving under would make it worse. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So that, those are terrifying. Oh man. But uh, being the swim team was fun. It was. I swam all four years. Um, yeah, Ohio was a really competitive state for swimming. So I was trying to look up at the the most recent like top twenty recruits um, to figure out what states. Because back when we were when I was in high school, the most competitive states for swimming were California, mm-hmm. New York, Florida, and Ohio. They were all kind of equal, and because uh, it was a really big sport in Ohio. And since then, the demographics have changed a little bit in the sense that Texas is now a really big school. Or Texas is now a really big state for swimming. So a lot of the top swimmers will come from Texas. Um, but along the East Coast, it was always competitive. Maryland's competitive. Virginia's competitive. Just the high density of people and, uh, you know, access to pools. Um, so, uh, yeah, Ohio was a really competitive state. Well, so swimming. were you treated better as an athlete? No, because no, because our our school is very small, so our swim team was mm-hmm. fairly small. So there were like five or six guys on the. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe there were eight. Maybe there were like seven guys on the on the swim team. There are always more female swimmers on the swim team. It was always mm-hmm. a more popular female sport in high mm-hmm. school, which I guess makes sense because maybe it's just an, it's another avenue for for women to you know to practice ex- and participate in because. Um, there's no football. You know, there's no football. You know, <laughs> they have they have other sports. You know, soccer and lacrosse and all that. Um, I guess and softball. But it's always been very equal opportunity, and it's a sport that's probably maybe more popular with women than men, even to this day. Hmm. I mean, I think that Buffy is using swimming here almost because it's the non-obvious example, like because uh, hmm. because they a they already did football, but also uh, I feel like. They're doing. They did baseball too. They already did baseball in right. that. They did baseball, right? Exactly. Because he's yeah. just going on the list of sports just to give them all hate, which is fine by me. Mm-hmm. So we need uh, basketball. Um, mm-hmm. What else do we need? They read on cheerleading already. Yeah, yeah. cheerleading. Maybe also, maybe a, a member of the basketball player basketball team can be a werewolf, and he uses <laughs> his werewolf abilities to cheat and make uh, and make the team better. What a fantastic idea, Dennis. You should write a spec script. I will. I'll call it Wolf Teen. <laughs> I, I was watching Teen Wolf 2 the other day, so. I need, Wrestling. I need to, Teen Wolf oh, 2 right. is insane. I, I, I'm, I will, I'm, I'm so glad you brought it up casually. Tennis. Teen, teen Wolf 2 <laughs> is so insane. Yeah. Ten, teen, uh, wolf Tennis would be pretty fun, too. <laughs> tennis? Wolf Tennis! <laughs> Are you uh, saying tennis or Dennis? Tennis. Tennis. <laughs> oh, okay. Also wolf, wolf Dennis. Dennis. We can have wolf Tennis. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. That mustache, man, you're halfway there. Ow. That was Alex. Maybe I'll finally be good at yeah, tennis. And <laughs> then I can be wolf, I can play wolf soccer. It'll be great. Uh, so I guess I won't have hands. Uh Travis, you have the next question here. Was Ms. Callender's was she complicit with keeping Gage's grades up artificially? That's a good question. Because I was realizing this today because 
up until this point, Gage would have been taking this computer science course the entire season, which is the entire school year. And only now, Willow, also Willow has just adjusted grades after being in the position for like what, three or four weeks, three weeks. And she's, she's, she must have changed his grade to, a, to an F. So, yeah. Isn't that wow. insane? Yeah, no wonder yeah, Snyder had to show up to like check in. I don't know if I like Miss Calendar more because she was playing ball and like was like, you know, not really, really you know, it's like this Gabe guy is, you know, a piece of work. Or if I should like Miss Calendar less. Uh, well, I would, I would assume we know Jenny loves football, right? Right. So I, 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 she could be complicit, but I would also maybe argue that the swim team only recently got good. So maybe with only in the last like three or four weeks, did they like start to improve? Right. But he would have been academically eligible for the whole year though. I mean, it's not like he could have been having F's all up until three weeks ago. Well, it could have been a guy who let this moderate amount of success completely go to his head. And he like was doing okay in class until like he won like one match and then was like, fuck it. You also, you I, don't turn in grades every week. You turn them in at the end of the term. I mean, it, it could be. Where, that where are we in the term even? Like it's, yeah. it's very close to graduation, but. Oh, okay. Cause it's not the end of the episode finals, end of the season yeah. and every yeah. season end is like prom and graduation. They're mm-hmm. like, like especially next season class could it could be like a quarter long elective that you know he might not have been in it before so john's defending him john's up. defending right. a computer science teacher so she she did keep his grades up right that's what we assume or it went to his head and he i think she played up. ball she's kind of i like how she plays dirty like that she's she's a badass <laughs> i also think as being being a gypsy like how much of a fuck does she really give? About, That's what I'm like, saying. She's like, right. I'm here to to prevent, you know, something. And I'm, and well, she died not preventing it, but whatever. But uh, yeah, it's kind of like she, we we don't think that she's a um, uh, a techno pagan. Now we know that she wasn't really a teacher. So I, I have a kind of follow up or related question that's in my themes question. But uh, John, as a teacher. Have you ever been asked to give students different treatment or do you do that on your own? I, the thing that happens in this episode has never happened to me where my boss comes and like puts pressure on. That's never happened. Uh, I do not go to a very, I do not work at a very sports centric school and also it's elementary. So like the stakes are not nearly that high. What does kind of play into the way I think is that like you do have kids who, if they don't keep their grades up or more like more commonly, like if they're, they get in trouble, they'll be pulled out of sports. And that can actually backfire where like, if a kid does something he's not supposed to do in my class, if I write him up for it, he's going to get pulled out of football. And that can actually backfire because when that kid loses access to football, instead of his like, what doesn't happen is that an 11 year old realizes, oh, I can't play football anymore. I better be a better, I should be a better student now. What happens is that you've taken away the one thing they actually like, and then they just become even harder to deal with and uh, their behavior gets worse instead of better. So I've, pulled punches on athletes because I was afraid it would backfire, but not because somebody told me to. Soft love, as they call it. Interesting. So passing Ds, is that what we're talking about? Uh, It's usually not athletics in my school that would pull a kid out. I mean, they will get pulled out for that, but it's usually more behavior. So like, you know, talking back, being, being a schmuck. Playing solitaire with nearly 
fully clothed women. <laughs> yeah, no, that that I'd definitely write somebody up for that. <laughs> Again, my kids are younger though. It's different when it's a ten year old like doing that. What if they do a Google search for Pokemon porn? Yeah, that 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 kid went to counseling. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta catch them all. <laughs> So we're going to move on to themes, deep stuff. I think we just have a couple points here to talk about the kind of the deeper theme of this episode. So John, uh, do you want to talk about your question here? And then Dennis? I mean, or it yeah, can be I, the I, same question. Yeah, it's the same thing. I, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm uh, dropping any bombshells here, but um, you know, this episode is obviously about like rape culture and I, I'm kind of surprised going back and watching something from this particular time period that it does such a good job with it at least from my point of view, because um, what I think is interesting about the way that it deals with this is that uh, it's, the episode's really clear that this is a systemic problem. The episode is super clear that it's not like a bad person or that the coach is just a bad person. There's a whole culture and system of giving these kids a pass. And if they weren't fish monsters, the system would still give them a pass for their bad grades and, uh, for the you know attacking buffy in the car like the system would still like none of that stuff had to do with being a fish monster they would have gotten away with that anyway so i think that the, the episode's really clear about how it's a you know it's a culture and that everybody's participating in it yeah do yeah. you think it's ahead of the curve on this i mean or is it uh, I, I guess of- when i say ahead of the curve i just i just mean that like i don't know that there was any other media telling me about this in whatever this is 1998 you know, in these terms, I don't know that that was something that I would have run into otherwise. But are, are we seeing Buffy passing the buck, like how we saw them pass the buck in Reptile Boy um, when we talked about campus campus rape? I mean, I, I, I 100% agree with you that Buffy started to present this, but I feel like the moral of the episode is not that rape culture. It was this insane, like pseudo eugenics or something, or it was abuse. I'm not even sure what the right what the right moral of this story was, because there's a lot wrapped up with it, but they never, the bad guy, the episode wasn't the rape culture. It was the, um, the abusive athletics coach and, um, and, and, and drugging. I don't know. I'm, to me, the but, way they wrap I mean, it up the show is, needs is to give, yeah, this show needs to wrap things up and it needs to give Buffy something to fight. Like, but I don't yeah. think that's dismissing like it's bring it's purposely bringing up rape culture and i don't think it's dismissing but, rape culture to be like there's also a fish monster like that's just the structure of the show yeah well, that's I, the structure of the show but i i thought they should give more they, i feel like that isn't addressed at the end of the show they address it during the show but i don't know what do you think donna oh yeah no i i actually i'm agreeing with travis on it just because um a lot of times we sort of wonder, like, because Buffy is, like, very um, much, sometimes it feels like we're talking about things that, you know, maybe I didn't realize were a thing until, like, a few years ago. And, like, rape culture as a vocabulary term to describe it, like, did that exist in the 90s? Not really. And so, in a lot of ways, um, like, Buffy exists in the world that, like, in the society where it exists. So it like sort of inherently will like uh, portray those situations that we identify now as like rape culture. Um, But in this instance, it's just, it's sort of interesting that we can just like, we see it and we identify it, but we don't necessarily like 
that's not the point of this episode in particular. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a, apparently some interviews out there with Marty Noxon where she talks about how for her this episode is about steroid abuse, right? Yeah. Which is yeah. The, to me, is the least interesting thing going on. Right. Yeah, I mean... But she so didn't much... write this episode. It was um, like David Fury, right? Oh, is that right? Or... Travis, you're muted. I don't... <laughs> I said he's a very excellent writer, but but he's a man. He's a very excellent writer, but he is a man. He... he... So, I mean, right. Like you do sort of wonder, like, are they calling it out or are they just like, they're just writing the subconscious like, uh, norms. Yeah. I, I choose to believe that they were calling it out. Um, but they don't finish a discussion on it. You're right. I don't know. The coach feels like an eighties caricature of like, a of a coach, right? Like even John's like, Oh, he's like a villain from the karate kid. You know, like it's like a played out character in the world, but like, some modernish elements thrown into like maybe a, like a more traditional bad character. And then some horror structure. I, I agree with the steroids thing being the main thing. Cause that's like what they lean in so heavy. Like, I, I don't think the show fully understands what steroids do to people or like, <laughs> right. or, or like how that transformation works. And like, definitely there's that conversation that they all, you know, Buffy and Willow and Cordelia have about steroids, you know, in the pool. So- Go ahead, sorry. So there is a 1975 film called Rape Culture, which is a documentary. Ooh. So, I mean, the term does predate the 90s. So just. Okay, so before Gawker was a blog, we were reading about, we could have been using rape culture before. Okay. Yeah. Just well, because we weren't mean... aware of it in the 90s as much as a term doesn't mean it didn't, like, exist. Like, like for me, if I were to rewrite this episode, I'm, I'm not muted, thank goodness. Um, so if I were to rewrite this episode, I would wrap up the whole fish monster angle five, 10 minutes before the 42 minute mark. And then that last five, 10 minutes would have been wrapping up the rape culture, which to me was, you know, it's, it's always going to be much more compelling. Yeah. I I mean, I would, I would just try to connect them more because I think in the end, the show has to be about fighting monsters, but but rather I would never watch it. It's not a fish thing, but yeah, it, but that's like, the show is like, real things as metaphors for monsters, right? Like, right. Like the fish thing was the metaphor for steroids. That was the problem. I don't, I mean, I don't wasn't the metaphor for rape culture because I don't think metaphors have to ever be one-to-one. I think, yeah. um, I think it's both. And I, 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 there's too much going on for me in this episode about specifically how these kids are like inculturated to, uh, expect to win everything, how they're, uh, um, given, you know, too many privileges to where they expect to just be able to take whatever they want. Like that is a definitely a theme in the episode. And it, the, I, and abs, if you take away all the supernatural elements, that's still happening. And I think the episode's aware of it. I, I agree that it's unfortunately in the third act, it's like eclipsed by a lot of other things that are, you know, that we're less interested in. Like we wish the episode was more about that. And I also think that like, there's a, there's a legitimate question as to whether or not you can use a tool as silly as Buffy to deal with a topic this seriously, this serious, you know, and whether or not Buffy, especially like one shot monster of the week, Buffy is up to the task. Um, I think it depends on how you read Buffy. Well, I mean, she doesn't do anything to fight the system, right? I mean, they right. uncover the, that there's this weird steroid monster thing and they do their own detective work, but like they don't stop, prevent the system from existing. That coach dies, but like, yeah, I think they shut down the swim team. 
Does the episode have to have a like a solution to point out the issue though? Because I feel like right. It, yeah. No, it doesn't. I'm just saying they don't shut it down. They don't end. They don't yeah, end, yeah, but they don't stop the problem exactly. I mean, well, I, I guess a, the episode should have a call to arms. That's what I would have. No, I, uh, I think the show does also a good job with like, um, like Buffy herself can be the victim in like, you know, sexual like assault, and like while she's never like truly in danger, like we do see how like the expectation is on the victim to like defend themselves or prove right. That they were in fact harmed. And like, that's especially hard in Buffy's case because she's the one that hurts Cameron. Um, And so I think that's like the show, like being cool and like, subverting how that situation typically plays out um but yeah the show also does play into its own like faults which are that like sometimes it does like prop up like the boys will be boys things and sometimes it does like like Buffy I feel like if Buffy had complained about that to like her group of friends you know like what had happened to her at the nurse's office like she wouldn't have been ignored by her friends, right? Like, and I know right. that that's a funny scene that, like, it's hilarious that no one cares because Buffy, like, can take care of herself, right? But, like, this is a situation where, like, she was, like, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, she was, almost, she was potentially sexually assaulted and her friends ignored her talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And the I think one, one of the. Seriously. Yeah. I think one of the things we pop culture discovered this week with like recent accusations about Joss Whedon or accusation is the wrong word, but is that like, as much as we want Buffy to be like a show above like a, a noble show, like it's still made by like a flawed human yeah, um, right. and it's not perfect. And Joss is far from perfect. Um, Do so, you want to get into all that? Um, I don't know. Do we? Terms? Um, I sent you guys but I, uh, like that that article about that and then the other article um i don't know joss whedon he sucks (laughs) (laughs) yeah it turns out he sucks (laughs) yeah i mean we it's i think that we were all like people who watch buffy are all pretty aware that like joss whedon was never the paragon of feminism that some people hold him up to i mean if you right you can you know that from watching the shows i think yeah right um, but it's still did disappointing. <laughs> did you say dollhouse? Sorry, did did Mike know? Yeah, because uh, Mike's I, just now halfway through it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen enough of you know Joss Whedon stuff to like have an opinion of the full catalog. I mean, I I just saw the stuff that Dennis sent out about Joss, right? So, mm. Dennis, can you just do the headline like information about this? Um, the headline information is that uh, Joss Whedon's ex-wife published an article in what was it like i don't know a website i forget the name of the site uh talking about how he yeah how he had um like uh multiple affairs including with like actresses and fans and basically took took uh advantage of his position of power um and having affairs with like young women who uh you know, and it, it uh, and he used his public persona as a feminist to protect himself from it. Yeah, 
And it's important to remember, because I feel like you just the way I'm seeing people on my feed talking about this, that this isn't about marital infidelity. This is about, right. it's yeah. about using it's hard, power. Yeah. Like it's the uh, same thing with, uh, with uh, Bill Clinton, right? It, it, the conversation shouldn't be about whether or not you cheated on your wife, because that's not that that is a private matter. It's about whether or not you're using, um, you know, power to sleep with women who are your subordinates. Yeah. And if he's the producer on shows and is like, using that power to sleep with actresses or want to be actresses or, right. you know, the, and the, the article doesn't name names about who the affairs are. And that's not the important part, but it's just that he's um, taking advantage. Right. Yeah. And the, the way he described it was like, especially shady. It was like, I just couldn't help it because there were so many like insecure and needy women around me. And I like, what could I do? But like, feel like I had the power to like, you know, <laughs> Yeah, having an affair, a beautiful yeah. So I, 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 I didn't read the essay that I guess the ex-wife wrote. Is it full of Buffy spoilers? No, no. you can no. Okay, great. <laughs> she spoils the ending. Of I mean, in it. <laughs> I wish I could save you from reading it. It makes you, it's sad to read. It's not fun to read. No, that's cool. I'll read whatever character assassination of Joss Whedon. That doesn't bother me. I just, uh, I mean, if it's true, that's even better. I, like I. I just uh, don't, I'm trying to avoid all too many show references. Yeah. No, right. of course. So uh, <laughs> like I didn't read another feminist essay that was recommended recently <laughs> because I had too many Buffy spoilers. So uh, <laughs> went out. I guess, yeah, it's especially like a difficult topic because of how Buffy the show can be read in some feminist lens. I don't really understand feminism, but I do understand that it, does like you know it does sort of like challenge patriarchal values and stuff um and so i don't know as a person that you know grew up on buffy and like you know highly influenced by like the shows that joss whedon worked on um it is sort of like important or like for me it was just difficult to separate what's good about the show and like what doesn't work um and not hold the show up as like this perfect thing that like, you know, speaks truth in all like instances. Like it's just, yeah. Flawed as Dennis said, made by a flawed human being. Yeah, totally. And we have to remember that. Um, I mean, he, he was the show creator and he wrote and directed most of the episodes first, most of the, every season, most, um, the first or last episode of every season is usually written or directed by him. But Buffy had a huge, um, a huge cast of different writers. So, so for me, you know, there still are a lot of other ideas that are in the table, although he was ultimately the, the head, the showrunner and, and, uh, and creator. Along the way, there were a lot of really great people that worked for him that hopefully had, you know, put good ideas into the show too. I agree with that. I think there's a little bit of a... Um... I think there's more than a little patriarchy as well in our like um, desire to have like an auteur read where it's like everything is Joss Whedon's idea. And it's, you know, and I think the the fandom for this show is definitely has fallen into that to a great degree, mm-hmm. but it's but not that's I mean, very American to like, yeah, it is. It is very American. created stuff. Yeah. But it's just important to remember that that's, that's a tool we use to try to help us understand the show. It's not actually real. It's not true. Cause that's just not how TV is made. Well, um, I want to make some predictions about the show, unless anyone has other themes. What do I think will happen next? Donna's do we, do we want to talk about the other thing Dennis sent out? 
Oh, oh, yeah. Sorry, Dennis. I, I'm. I don't know that we're going to add a ton to it, but I feel like if we don't talk about it, it's a little weird. Okay. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Uh, oh, Dennis. Dennis pointed out here that uh, Brock Turner, the Stanford rapist, was a swimmer and is from Oakwood, Ohio. Is there? You know, we don't want to talk about. We've talked a little about swimming, but is there something specific about swim team culture, all sports culture, small towns that lets this kind of thing go that calls athletes good boys and protects them? Like, how does you know, that's where we're from. That's the culture we're raised in yeah. is the same culture that Brock Turner is raised in. What makes us different? What, uh, so yeah. What can happened? I, can, can I read the, uh, just like a, a sentence or two out of this, uh, Washington post piece? Sure. Yeah. There's a piece in the Washington post that is a, um, makes the connection. So, um, Brock Turner, this famous rapist, I guess is how you say it. Um, who went to our high school. He's from, you know, he's several years younger than us, but so we didn't know him, but, um, uh, in describing this place that uh, the four of us all met, um, she says, um, the, conf- uh, the conflation of achievement with being a good kid, the pressure to succeed, the parents who shrug when the party in their basement gets out of control, or worse yet, they host it because kids are going to drink, the tacit understanding that the rules don't necessarily apply, the cops won't come, and the axe won't fall. I That kind of chilled me when I read it because I feel like that's about as succinct a description of uh, the place that we went to high school uh, had our teenage years as any uh, I thought that was really on the nose <laughs> yeah yeah I mean when I first came to Oakwood because I had come from New Orleans like it really felt like a totally alien culture to me at first um, but I don't know you adjust um, you do I, I, I am the good alien or bad alien uh, bad alien <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's almost always bad alien <laughs> it was more xenomorph than et my friend <laughs> i mean she she definitely goes on to point now out i that understand your human look it's now not like oakwood's that unique and she's the point isn't that oakwood's uh you know like a unique rapist factory the point isn't that at all the point is that there's you know uh a, a culture among you know wealthy uh privileged kids that that, that gives them a sense of ownership uh that gives them a sense of, of entitlement that that is part, partly where she's laying the blame for this. And I think that that, I think it's a lot what this episode is about, as I said earlier, and I feel like uh, she's, she's right to point that out. I don't think it's especially unique to uh, the exact high school we went to. Mm. Um, I think, you know, wealthy suburban kids across the country are probably like that. Um, and I don't, I definitely don't think it's unique to swimming. I don't think it, there's any connection to swimming particularly. <laughs> I mean, I think the fact that, it's a wealthy school that we went to. Yeah. Like I think wealth is a bigger factor for me as far as like living in a world with fewer boundaries and response. Like, I mean, you know, we mentioned that we got to go home for lunch, right? Like this is yeah. a school that has a lot of trust in its students to be able to do. Things. We could till steal stands from Taco Bell without any repercussions. Right. So it's a school that trusts people and, you know, kids abuse that pr- trust and maybe they don't deserve all that trust that they get and they don't have the responsibilities to handle it. But Well, I mean, trust is a sincere belief that you're going to not do anything wrong, right? It's not trust. It's looking the other way. You know, like, I feel but like... What trust about, I mean, you're saying the culture of the, the neighborhood or the school, but what about, yeah. I mean, what about the parents? You know, what about their culture? Their culture of friends and responsibilities? Oh, sure. That's, yeah, I think that's all wrapped up in all this. I'm not, I, I don't, I, I don't think those are separate things. Well, was your school particularly, like, also, like, a white, well, white majority, like, and it was like, oh, yeah. kind of a problem yeah. in that Hello sense white. as well. Super white. 
and, and super white in a very, very uh, segregated part uh, in a very, very segregated city. You know, it's a, it's a yeah. suburb. Right. And well, because they segregated city. One of the yeah. jokes about Oakwood is that even the squirrels are white. Uh, like, do literally, the squirrels are white. <laughs> Can you explain? <laughs> Oakwood has white squirrels. Yeah. Uh, ah. So it's like a literally man. like white fur. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're not like uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess like I'm thinking the Brock Turner case particularly like had he been like you know mexican right like probably Absolutely. wouldn't have yeah gotten so what did he get like six months in like probation yeah. jail yeah. or something and uh here in california it's still in the news because there's still like an effort to like um get that judge fired or whatever right. Whatever right. that term is, right? Because before the Brock Turner case, he had he had sentenced like a man who had convicted of rape for like to like I don't know like decades, and who was not white. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, and then I guess it sort of ties into like the boys thing, right? Like Brock Turner was still considered like he's he's a good he's a good kid. He yeah. has a future, you know. But really, he's a fish monster, right? Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what <laughs> yes. I'm saying. That's yes, he's a he's fish a monster. He's a gill boy. Agree. Yeah, agree. Gil, like all Gil swimmers. No, well, well done. Yeah, he's totally a monster. And what? Right. There's so many things that create monsters. Oh my gosh, full cat. <laughs> like what? You know, it's the system of the school. I mean, his friends. That whole culture that creates your decision-making skills. Right. I, I mean, it's our school. Yeah. I mean, you know, Oakwood is pretty, is a really white school. White, white privilege is a really real problem in the United States where like white people get away with things that uh, non-white people don't, you know, we don't go to jail, you know, we hire lawyers, you know, there's a culture that like is like more excusing and assumes the best in things with a white person versus a non-white person. And like, if you're a white person in all white society, you probably see white things playing out really well for you. And maybe even Brock saw that happen, you know, where people got away with stuff. And there weren't any consequences. Cause like in a white neighborhood, there's no reason for the cops to show up because white people aren't doing anything wrong. I don't know that, that, that environment's pretty sheltered. And I, yeah, like if, if you don't have Brown friends uh, or non-white friends that are being like, uh, you don't see people who are, you know, being followed by police or like have problems like, you know, problems with the justice system and stuff. And like all your friends feel pretty protected. Yeah, you probably do feel pretty invincible because you don't, but the fact that you not, not even thinking about it, right. Not having an opinion about, about your whiteness because everybody's white. Yeah. Yeah. If your whiteness can be invisible, then that's white privilege. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it is kind of interesting. Like, the way that campus rape is like so prominent across the country and then like the the lack of um consequences for like this kind of like um crime it's it's sort of uh i've heard it phrased as like it's this is like a it's like a permissiveness for um you know for sexual assault and that kind of thing um and it is interesting like if we if we can 
as a society treat can treat like this particular crime like that why can't we do that with like uh like drug usage or like possession or something like like we treat it like oh raped happened and that was a mistake it's not like it doesn't reflect on like this person is now a monster it's like this was an action that like can be like taken like and acted on like you can get better in the future versus like say you're like caught like in possession and like you're not white <laughs> it like suddenly like you're a criminal and like that's not like just a one-time accident that like you're now gonna have to pay for basically I, i'm not saying like yeah. yeah we should be serious about sexual assault of course but like it is like one instance where we're like very permissive as a society we're very permissive to white people in the society about sexual assault. Yeah. I mean, it's not just white people. I mean, cause Brock just happened to like, not, you know, take like, get like serious jail time at all, you know? Um, but as like, as far as how often cannabis rape occurs, um, universities don't like, take it upon themselves to fix that problem for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of underreporting and um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's so many cases where like you, it's on the victim to like prove that they were raped and like get the rape kit and like have the health insurance that like, provides the rape kit or like have it done in time so that you can get it to the police and all of that stuff. It's just like right. the whole system is messed up. And Texas, what's Texas's new thing? The like rape insurance. Yeah. You have to buy separate like health insurance to cover like rape stuff. <laughs> the separate, <laughs> not, probably not federal insurance then separate, separate insurance. Like health insurance. Separate health insurance for rape? Just for rape if you're a college student? For the medical medical consequences of, of rape, I'm sure is what they're trying to get at. I, I think the Brock Turner case was two. two uh, I think there are two issues. Or I think there are probably a lot of issues there. One, I think it was white men behaving badly, and that needs to just stop. And we need that, like, that's the huge problem of 2016 and 2017. And then it's... it's um, that, uh, you know, we think that his sentence was much lower because he was a white man for any, any sort of comparable crime. It feels that there's not equal justice in the justice system. Uh, that, that's the other huge overriding problem or sentiment that's going on right now as well. And, you know, why can't sentencing for rape be as severe as possession or sale of crack? Great question, but there's no uh, there's no minimum um, sentencing, or the minimum sentencing is pathetic. Well, it's because we want to put non-white people in jail. So if we focus on drugs, we can really get a lot more non-white people in jail. Like, that, that yeah, that was it. And are are you implying problem. Jeff Sessions might be a racist? <laughs> oh, uh, did anyone say he wasn't? I feel like anytime, I mean, I was listening to this great on the media podcast. It's a little bit of a divergence, but on the media, do you guys know that one? It's NPR's mm-hmm. podcast. It's great. Mm-hmm. They had one yeah. about the drug war 
drug wars in this country. It's great historical. Yeah, because Jeff Sessions is like reinstating the drug wars, yeah. right? And the minimum sentencing and all that. Disenfranch- the eventual goal of disenfranchising uh, African-Americans, I'm sure. I'm sure they're targeting... Because in several districts districts states, in several states, you like cannot vote if you've been convicted of a felony. Yeah, no, you can't vote if you've been to jail. In swing right? states, Florida. And they were trying to do that in Virginia as well, like important swing states. Yeah, so put more people in jail for for drug cases and you'll have a better chance of winning those states <laughs> making disenfranchising them yeah it's totally like that's it's all political they don't care right i wonder what texas does because that's the next big swing state in the future i mean like the problem is so like uh built in to like it's like the source code you know for our like society so like could Buffy has have fixed rape culture in this Go Fish episode? If Not she tried really. harder. If she tried <laughs> harder. <laughs> Get your bootstraps, Buffy. <laughs> Come on, Buffy. We still have rape culture because of you. Yeah. Uh, well, she beat up some that, bullies. That felt yeah. good. I mean, I, I mean, that's the part that's so like good about Buffy, even though it exists and like this, um, like flawed, like you know, male-centered society. Like, Buffy is, like, completely aware of, like, predicaments that she's in. Like, I I was talking to Dennis about this earlier when when she's, like, surrounded by the fishmen and, like, the first thing she says is, (laughs) uh, great, now... Just what my reputation needs, that I did it with the swim team. (laughs) Um... Yeah, and I, yeah, I think and like putting a name on it's really important. Saying what's happening, right? Like that feels that's a yeah. really strong thing to do, as opposed to just like screaming. That's right. funny. I read that line the totally different way. Like to me, that that I mean, I totally, I completely see what you guys are saying. I completely see reading it that way. I read it. Uh, like, I read it as just like, oh, here's a like a clear sign that this episode is not taking this issue seriously enough. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I agree with that that <laughs> that reality. but you know Slayer's gonna quip yeah that's what she'd do totally uh, she didn't right. actually say it in the way my impression was that, that was misrepresenting Buffy it wasn't right. far off <laughs> I was, that was what how movie Buffy would say it uh. well for me like I sometimes like can't help but think like really sexist things just because like that's how we grew up right and so like they're not like um not like you know to the extreme of like you know girls are not capable of doing this or like girls are sluts or whatever but like you know in situations where i'm like how does this make me look and like it it is really one-sided like or it can be and i do i am careful like I don't like eating bananas in public because like I don't want to be harassed by someone like watching me eat a banana. But like it's like uh well you know you like break the banana in half and you eat it in chunks. <laughs> That's great. Uh, that's one of those things that like as a as a as a dude you don't I I would never have thought it like I never in a million years would have thought about that. Uh I, you right. know, I experience my privileges eating bananas any goddamn place I want anywhere. I, I mean, yeah, you should. We should. Uh, well, right. But we like, it's, I have a little song I sing to myself in those moments where like, you know, like, why, like, why is this happening? 
And then I realized like, oh, right, because of the world we live in. And so like the song goes like this. It goes, goes it's not a mystery. It's the patriarchy. And then I say that to myself all the time. <laughs> That's amazing, John. I can't believe you've never sung that song on this podcast before. <laughs> that should actually be a song, like a regular part of this podcast. <laughs> oh, man, it totally should. Oh, no, oh speaking of music. About, about uh, where we'll be discussing feminism and gender gender culture this is the last one. Oh, good it doesn't oh that's it it's solved uh <laughs> speaking of songs though i for this episode made a playlist on spotify called um fishy songs for swamp creatures and it had all of the like um uh fish songs like fish man songs i could think of um so if you guys if you want to hear fish songs uh and you're on spotify look for that playlist is uh fish heads on there by barnes and barnes um no it's not the uh, is that the like fish heads fish heads yeah <laughs> uh i thought about that and then i was like i actually don't want to listen to like there was some curation of like what is a playlist i'd actually want to listen to bill paxton like, to was degree. in that band did you know that no i didn't yeah one of barnes and barnes he's one of the barneses <laughs> bill barnes i yeah i don't know bill paxton is one of the barneses uh r.i.p yeah, I don't think Bill Pullman's the other one, but um, can I br- I'll bring back the Buffy, Mike. This is the s- we'll think about the last two episodes as one jumbo episode. So here we are, season two, the penultimate episode we've just watched. Did you like how it r- didn't relate to the overall overall arcing story of season two? Um, did you like that? Did you not like that? Did you like the pacing? How are the characters? How have they evolved through season two? I'll ask some general questions of the host. How was the prop work? We'll get to props. I don't know if there were a ton of props in this episode. I guess the Speedo is a prop, in which case, great work, great prop work. The Speedo is not a prop. It's a costume, but he did pick up a kickboard, which is a prop. And he he hid his frontal area with the kickboard, which I've done before too, but it's not like I was around predators. I just sometimes... You just don't want to be fully exposed. So I, I really enjoyed this episode and the last episode, which felt like they were Monster of the Week episodes. And they're really well done. I like the monsters. And I like the drama. And I like that it's not part of a bigger story. And then I can kind of tune in. And I don't feel like I have to immediately watch the next episode to know what's going to happen next. So I've enjoyed it. Um, I feel like character-wise, uh, I, I like that there's a little less... Um, of horny Xander in the last few episodes. I don't know if that's going to be an ongoing trend though. That feels like it's just, Oh, there's a different writer for this episode. Like that doesn't feel like that's the direction of the show. Um, I like that Buffy is over angel ish. I really like the way that a relationship was treated in the last episode. I thought that was really cool. Um, with, uh, that like 1950s character, you know, and like with that kind of, sorry, there's like, I like the uh, 1950s kind of character, you know, with this like strange uh, double, su- like murder suicide thing, and how that like it really worked for their relationship, like to kind of bring back some of this really strong emotional core to this relationship. That was really crazy. Like, and I say that because it's like they're not supposed to be together. Like, if I can't have you, nobody can. Like, this really crazy drama. I like that characterization. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm enjoying the show. I've been enjoying the show for a while though. So it's not, it's not been a terrible experience to watch this. Um, I feel like I'm 
brainwashed into the kind of the way the show flows. So I, I just enjoy, I enjoy moments and I know that I'll get to talk about them later when they come up. And if I, we stop doing the podcast, would you keep watching the show? So there's all these little things that interest me, like this watcher guide. There's like a monster book. Uh, there's a new, there's like a new Buffy board game, two new Buffy board games that interest me. One's like a legendary card game. And I like legendary cards, but like be fun to play with Buffy. There's another Buffy board game that my uh, friend Jim Withy, who was just hanging out uh, earlier today that he's playing like, yeah, I want to do all the, the dumb Buffy related things, but I don't want to, I want to know the story first. So, and then I have all these Buffy related ideas in my head all the time now. So <laughs> yeah, welcome that totally to happens. the club. <laughs> welcome to the Hellmouth, I guess I should say. Like, I want to illustrate these Buffy fan stories I've been reading, like do little panels for a Buffy zine that Dennis is going to put together, I hope. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, I have a lot of Buffy thoughts. Thank you, I guess. Um, I like, I was, I'm really sad about Jenny getting killed off. I thought that was a bad move and I was stupid. And there were so many other ways to turn Angel evil. And uh, I dis- disagree with that decision of the show. Maybe she wouldn't sleep with Joss Whedon. <sighs> oh. Oh, that's, that's legit. Good oh, man. We have yeah. to worry about that now. Damn, that's No, you guys know you Jesus. established it. I, I remember Dennis said it was because she was a bad actor. I know. And now I, and <laughs> she's not that was actor. before all this came out. Now I'm thinking about that again. That's so much worse. Wow. Oh. Wow. God, I really hope this doesn't affect my viewing of the show, but it will. It will. It has to. Right, when any cast member dies, oh, probably wouldn't sleep with Joss, or probably did sleep with Joss and was going to tell his wife about it. So, Yeah, I mean, I have a hard time because, like, you don't want it to affect this, but maybe it should affect the future. I don't know. (laughs) Nothing can affect the future. (laughs) If yeah, if Joss Whedon writes another Wonder Woman spec script, <laughs> we'll just burn him, burn him all, burn it all. I mean, if it's, I, I assume that it's in the work somewhere. If it's truly like a part of his personality, like it'll be in the work. Like you can't avoid that stuff when you write. Like part of yourself is in your work. I was just reading, for instance, uh, rereading some old Hemingway stuff, and he's really obsessed with these like women dying in childbirth kind of scenes. Well, guess what? wife almost died during childbirth like that's like a fixation that is in his work for a reason you know like i'm sure right Joss whedon's power these whatever I, I haven't read the full essay so i don't know what his moves are but i'm sure we'll we'll see him and how he treats women so so donna what's your favorite uh part of season two so far oh um we can do favorite monster and mm-hmm. favorite episode mm-hmm. favorite character um, 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 I love, I mostly love the camp, the campy aspect of Buffy as an adult now. Um, like when I was younger, I was like, you know, very emotionally invested, like very strong feelings about everything and, you know, identifying way too much with, you know, others. But, um, so I like, I really like the Halloween episode just because of how funny it is. Um, it's just got a lot of got a lot of laughs um and i i really do like this episode the the fish one just because it has it's yeah just a monster it's basically just a weird monster x-filesy episode that has a lot of problems 
but also it's yeah it's fun to like sort of just rip get really like dive deep into it and then just sort of like go into all like all of it what about you travis you've seen this how many times what's your favorite episode from season two yeah you know i was just i was also looking at that same wikipedia page as, as i was looking at this i mean i have a huge obviously i like a lot of the episodes um some of the earlier ones are great. Inca Mummy Girl, Reptile Boy, Lie to Me. Uh, and then Phases is a great episode only because it comes at the end of season, towards the, towards the last half of the season two, when all these bad things have happened. But Phases is funny and campy, and it, it totally breaks you out of that really depressed type mood. Uh, so Phases is thematically important for season two for me because whenever mm-hmm. i watch it i'm at this real real bad emotional low by by when phases happens right uh, is it right after innocence is right that... after surprise by innocence yeah yeah <laughs> i'm still trying to make that a thing um <laughs> <laughs> so 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 i have i have my favorite episodes for early season two and mid-season two is really rough um and then late season two I think overall on this rewatch, what we've just done, I do distinctly remember my favorite episode is passion. Mm. Uh, It is so much darker than I remembered. It is insane. Uh, Mm. Passion to me was just a great episode. Well, you really see all of us. Yeah. You really see Giles suffer in that one. Oh yeah. And to me, the voiceover worked, but uh, uh, it was an important construct. Because it has Dennis, the angel voiceover and passions. Dennis, what's your favorite monster in season two? Um, it might actually be these Gill Boys. Uh, uh, or Drusilla. Drusilla's <laughs> really great. Hands out. That's um, great. Uh, I'll tell you who it's not. It's not Oz as a werewolf. Uh, <laughs> the werewolf costume leaves something to be desired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh... So yeah, I'd say best performance of a monster is like definitely Drew, but um, best like yeah. look of a monster I think is the Gilmen. John, do you have season two thoughts? Uh, favorite episodes definitely phases for all the reasons stated. Uh, favorite wow. monster might be the Bezoars. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. not a, not not like a top notch episode, but a good body horror as a monster. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, Mike, do you feel like um, you're ready for season two to end? Spoiler, uh, the next season is almost here. <laughs> I kind of like the pacing of the season two episodes. I don't want that to radically change. I feel like this show is going to make up some radical changes into, like, arc television soon, if it's going to be a modern show. So I don't want that to happen. I'm not looking forward to that part because mm-hmm. I like the kind of one kind of contained episode that's happening. Mm-hmm. So I am trepidatious about season three. I hear it's the best season. A lot of people say a lot of people say that about season two also. So mm-hmm. I'm sure it's going to be great and fulfilling and interesting. And then that'll be the end of the show. And then, <laughs> you know, then, then season four we'll watch more quickly. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the same pace, oh, but man. it's been almost a half year on this one season of the show. So like, <laughs> You know, You're ready. Months, yeah. months, like you just want to finish finish watching it, basically? Oh, that'd be great. Mm. 
That'd be great. I would I'd be okay with finishing this, but I don't know. I'm kind of like I'm in a holding pattern a little bit with this season right now, so I'm I'm enjoying savor it. Savor it. Savor it because without all the holding. When it's over, we'll be sad. <laughs> we'll be yeah, sad. Yeah, you only get to season. be a virgin once. No, like you don't want to <laughs> go six like, years. <laughs> you know, like in uh, you know, twenty thirty when we finish uh <laughs> Season five. All other ones. You'll be so brokenhearted. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm Turner will finally be in jail. Whites <laughs> 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 right, will so be a minority. There'll be no patriarchy. <laughs> I would like to point out that uh, I'm not making a Star Trek reference in response to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so disappointed. There was no Buffy bingo this week, which is the first time ever, it feels like. Hmm. There was no, no Star Trek reference. There was Dennis no me defending Buffy. Sad, although it wasn't something about him. <laughs> yeah, I brought up sad stuff. I brought up plenty of sad stuff, okay? Yeah. <laughs> He's brought up the whole season's worth of sad stuff. You leave him out of this. <laughs> <laughs> That's on the bingo? <laughs> yeah, so it's Dennis says some sad stuff. Travis defends the show when it cannot be defended. Uh, John brings up Star Trek. There's um, also an X Files bonus. X Files oh. is always X Files is always mentioned. Oh wow! But yeah, it's like those. Yeah. those, those we got to create an actual bingo for the Twitter because like Twitter bingo is really popular. Like, uh-huh. so we got to do that. Um, we'll come up. We got to come up with some more to fill out the card, but I'm sure it won't be that hard. Oh yeah, stuff you talk about on Slack that I don't know about because I don't have Slack. Rhoda's on there talking about you. Talking about your That's what it's all about. I was talking about Travis constantly. Oh, yeah. man. If we can find a picture of Travis and his Beto, if not, we can just uh, throw his head on. Of, just put uh, him on Xander. Xander. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> so you guys got my predictions already, but I'll try to repeat them. There will be more ogling of Xander that, can't, that has to keep happening. Um. <laughs> What shoot? I'm forgetting the other two things I said during this episode that I didn't write down. Willow will, uh, you also be a said Willow Willow. will not be a denominate dominatrix. Yep. And the gang will fight a dinosaur. Yes, dinosaurs. But dinosaur, not like lizard. I think it's going to be up to us boy. to define like a dinos- what a dinosaur is. Not right? reptile boy, I guess. Oh, Could be a giant bird. Not a dinosaur. That's like a Cthulhu-like creature. I want someone to reference, like, they see it, and then Xander be like, whoa, was that a dinosaur? Or <laughs> really clearly, it's a dinosaur. Uh, Mike, you did predict uh, back season two, episode nine, that there will be a Jonathan-focused episode in season two. I don't think this counts, but it is more Jonathan than we're used to. This what is isn't Jonathan folk? Okay, all right. I just, I just <laughs> thought I'd bring it up. I'm trying to find it, you know, any chance we can to give you some credit. But uh, you, you uh, guys red herring me on that because you guys are so excited every time Jonathan appears. I felt like I was <laughs> excited, and so I assumed that Jonathan would be an important recurring character. He is recurring, I, but he's I think not. he's already important. Yes, he's, he's so important. Probably the most important character. He is the heart. Yeah, he's Aww. actually the reason every episode happens. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, have you ever Wikipedia'd the actor Danny Strong? That's who plays Jonathan. You should. No, he's, never. he's really talented. The reason we love him as a character is because we all relate with this character. And he's actually an awesome actor, writer, producer, director. 
Oh, okay. Does he li- write and he has, a, he has like a new film out right now, I think. Is it starring uh, Nicholas Brendan? <laughs> no. <laughs> Can we... I, it, is not, it spoilers to talk about his career a little? Uh, I don't think his career is spoiler. I, I don't think his career is a spoiler. He won, I mean, a, he, he won an Oscar for his writing. I'll just, yeah. Like, Danny Strong he's is a legit insane. Writer. He, he's he's legitimately amazing to have as your bit character, as your as your recurring you know fifty dollar a day, or a hundred dollar a day <laughs> named extra, for for seven years or five years. Yeah, or three it's years totally or weird to like look at that whole cast and stuff and be like, oh, and Danny Strong is the most successful of any of them. <laughs> he's insanely successful. So that's so what, what did he get an Oscar for? Uh, he wrote the Butler. Yeah, the Butler. Lee yeah, Daniels the is, is the Butler. Yeah, <laughs> written by Danny Strong. Yeah, he, he, yeah, it's written by Danny Strong. Yeah, Jonathan, <sighs> and he um, just made a new. Um, <laughs> That's also how he's credited all the time, Danny Jonathan Strong. Yeah, yeah. His okay. new his new um, movie is Rebel in the Rye, which is about Catcher in the Rye. I just oh. saw a, a theatrical trailer for it. You were in a theater? Oh, no, it was a home theatrical <laughs> trailer. Okay, just checking. The way you said that. <laughs> well, see, the last, the last movie I saw in theaters was Vertigo, so. That's not true. The no, last movie I saw in theaters Kong. was Skull Kong. Island. Was Kong, oh, Skull Island. Nice. That's true. You, you dragged me in. I was the, that was the next one, yeah. Um, will you guys invite me the next time there's a rape episode in Buffy? Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, you know, they'll have to. Uh, I, I'm not going to see it coming, so yeah, let us know next time. Yeah, the best is when you just don't see the rape coming. <laughs> uh, so the kill count this episode is uh, four transformations, but only one death. Just the nurse? Yeah, just the nurse. What about the coach? Oh, shit, that is two. I assumed he survived his raping. But why? And and just lived (laughs) with the knowledge of what his boys did to him for the rest of his life. No, you're right, right. too. I don't know. I I miss it. That That was kind of like the weirdest weirdest part. It's really weird. Also, (laughs) Buffy's one liner is really inappropriate. Yeah. What does she say? She's like, oh, those boys really love their coach. <laughs> and then they both, Xander and Buffy both stare down at it for like a like a <laughs> solid beat. They're like. <laughs> so they're seeing something. Yeah, they're, they're this, seeing something. This episode is fucked up. I just yeah, don't. <laughs> it is. Uh, this episode has the most F-bombs by, uh, by us podcasters as well, I think. Sorry. It deserves it. Yeah, okay. it has the most F-bombs up until any other episode this season. How exciting. It also has an exciting interview coming up next. Uh, wait, what about your recommendations, Dennis? Oh, we'll do them now. Oh, uh, we w- I will talk about recommendations within the interview, but um, Creature okay. from the Black Lagoon, uh, the movie Creature, Humanoids from the Deep, um, The Incredible Mr. Limpet, uh, Probably a couple other things. Oh, the comic book Black Hole, because that has a really great skin peeling scene, uh, similar to the skinlessness in this episode. Um, And and my own comic, uh, Drought, uh, which is in the Double Think Extra Spooky Special. Uh, It's my Gilman comic. So those are my recs. 
Also, Blue Lagoon, because we have to know. What... <laughs> yeah, if you want to know why Brooke Shields is the creature from the Blue Lagoon. <laughs> there's like a horror. There's swim. The swim fan is the only non like horror <laughs> stalker, but it's swimming related. So I thought I would bring it up. <laughs> and and Donna, where can people go again to find your comics? Are you on Twitter also? Oh uh, yeah, um, at Mad MadMcX, M A D. M-A-C-A-Q-U-E-S. It's just how you... Dot com. Yeah, dot com. Yeah. At twitter.com. And what, which, was, <laughs> which of your comics should people check out? Is there a specific one that's like a good one for people who are new to you? Um, I've got a comic that was my... Inspired, I guess after watching Mad Max Fury Road. Um, it's on my website. Um, it's about like a, an ape that like, actually it was, it's a cross, it's a parody, it's a cross between um, the, what was it, the Revenant and Mad Max Fury Road. So. But with um, an ape and an owl. Yeah, so I was just like processing the Revenant and just being like, this would have been a really good movie if he had a sidekick the whole time. Um, it makes funny comments, yeah. Yeah, just because there's like there's moments in the Revenant where like you're like, this is a great movie when that magical character is part of the se- part of the scenes. Yeah. And and where's the best place to buy your comics? Is it your website? Yeah, yeah. I've got a store linked up oh, there. Oh, nice. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, make, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Buffy Virgin Pod. We're also on Instagram. You can see Dennis's monster sketches. And if you subscribe to Dennis's Patreon, Dennis St. John on Patreon, you can see um, more monster work as it comes out. I'm watching the uh, this Furiosa project come together, and it's just a rad, violent, and weird story with tons of new monsters on every page. All these uh, interesting monsters that Dennis has dreamed up. Uh, and then uh, if you can follow us on Facebook, like the page, Buffy Virgin, and yeah, reach out to us and say hi. I'll be we'll be posting some random stuff related to this episode, you know, during the week. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay, great. Thanks. See you next time. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. Thanks. All right, testing. Looks like testing one, two, three. The, the levels look good to me. All right. Okay. Great. All right. Uh, thanks for coming on, Steve. Um, I'm having you on because you are both uh, a monster expert and relevant to the Buffy podcast. You co-wrote the Buffy the Vampire Slayer monster book. Uh, I did. Can you uh, uh, talk a little bit about that process? Uh, about working on the, the monster book? Yeah. Well, I was approached by uh, my very good friend Chris Golden, uh, Chris and I met, God, ages ago at Nikon, which is a um, Providence, Rhode Island, uh, Roger Williams campus in Rhode Island-based summer horror writers conference. It has a limited um, attendance. I think it's like 200 people uh, that they cap it at, and it's professionals, fans, uh, zine writers, you know, covers the whole gamut and oh, yeah. Chris and I met there so Chris had uh, invited me in on his first ever book project which was Cut Horror Writers on Horror Films and um, Chris knew I was 
<laughs> and um, uh, he reached out to me when he and uh, Tom Snagowski uh, were uh, contracted to do the Buffy book. And they needed somebody, they wanted somebody that could cover the deep pop culture history stuff. Yeah. Um, Tom and Chris had, you know, the aspects of the Buffy the Vampires show, uh, Vampire Slayer showdown, and they had all the specifics and inside scoops on the TV series and the characters on the series and each episode's guest monster, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but I was the guy who, you know, went deep and did the sections of the book about the backgrounds of those those archetypes. Um, and I, if, if memory serves, Tom Snagowski and I uh, sort of divvied up those aspects of the chapter, and Tom did some, and I did either a half to two-thirds of, uh, of it. And oh, yeah. I know that everything I turned down had to be cut down. <laughs> like, well, I turned it too much. That's um, one of the things I recently... But what they were looking for. That's one of the things I like. I recently bought the book for the first time, and even though it's not credited who writes what section, it's always because I know you're writing fairly well. It's always really clear to me what you wrote because it's like so in depth and so like long, and like it's referencing things like Nancy Collins and like um, like referencing like uh, just different things you wouldn't expect, you know. So I'm like, oh, I know Steve wrote this section, like. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's just how my head works. I'll, I'll watch a movie or I'll watch a TV show, and I'm 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 seeing all kinds of connections. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it was a lot of fun working on the book because of that. I mean, it was a real pressure cooker. We we had a very tight deadline. Uh, our publisher uh, on the project, I think it was Pocket Books. Uh, you know, it it had to come out within a very narrow window. Of course, it was a licensed book because it was. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, so there were also uh, constraints involving that. Everything had to be approved by whoever the corporate rep was for, you know, the Buffy series and so on. So um, we had to go through that filter. Um, yeah, now I'm on that side of it with, I mean, not with Buffy, but now I understand yeah, that. Yeah, you're working with the Schultz music. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So, well, I don't know if I was supposed to say that. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was a cultural secret. No, I usually make but, some oblique reference to it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so you know, you know, you know that process by heart from the licensor side at the at this point, and that meant that things had to be in not according to the schedule the book was going to be published, but well in advance because it had to go through the 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 uh, peer review process, if yeah. you will, before we were anywhere near the publisher deadline. So yeah. it was a real pressure cooker, but it was a fun project. Cool. Um, um, this episode. I give a little oh, background yeah. on. I mean, I, I mentioned where I met Chris. I I knew Tom Snagowski uh, from back in the late '80s. In fact, I met Tom. I believe I met Tom at a comic book store in Lynn, Massachusetts, which was the um, the hometown of my first wife, Marlene O'Connor. And I'm pretty sure I met Tom at a comic shop that that uh, used to be in Lynn. It's long gone now, I think. Um, and I'm, I'm the editor who first published Tom Snagowski. He's a big-time uh, 
know, uh, award-winning, well-renowned novelist these days. Mm. But when I met Tom, he was he was an aspiring writer, and uh, his first story was published in Taboo One. Oh wow! He the did first the story one. Tooth Decay that Mike Hoffman illustrated about uh, a guy who has a trip to the dentist that does not turn out any way that any one of us would <laughs> want a trip to the dentist to turn out. But what we all fear. <laughs> cool. Uh, so this uh, episode uh, features a fish monster, which is the reason I kind of I kind of thought, oh, Steve would be great for a fish monster one. Oh, I love fish monsters. Because yeah. yeah, your all-time favorite uh, is the creature from the Black Lagoon, right? That's right. In fact, I I was just thinking about the Gill Man this week. Um, I'm wrapping up work on a book called Cryptid Cinema. Uh, C-R-Y-P-T-I-D and I'm doing it with book designer Tim Paxton who is a longtime zine creator and editor uh, Tim operates out of Ohio and uh, he's doing the design on the book and I nice. turned in this um, uh, this reader's poll that I took informally on Facebook of people's favorite cryptids and and um, uh, once I tallied it up, I asked him, do you want to vote in the poll? And that if he would, I would. And his favorite cryptid of all time uh, in movies is the creature from the Black Lagoon. And I said, yeah, mine too. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, the weird thing was I loved the creature from the Black Lagoon before I ever got to see the movie. Um, it's a character I fell in love with mm. from the model kit. I think that was my second Aurora model kit. I'm, I'm 62 now, so I was... Of the age and generation when those first Aurora model kits came out in the early 60s, and my favorite was the creature. Um, what do you think uh, then, draws you to the creature? Oh, God. I, you know, I don't know what it was. I think part of it was I love dinosaurs, so the creature from the Black Lagoon is like the perfect synthesis of human and, you know, primordial reptile. It's that perfect uh, uh, mix of the two. Yeah. And he was just a really cool-looking monster. I mean, I liked Frankenstein's monster, and Dracula was okay, and the Wolfman was kind of cool, but the creature was just, I don't know, there was something about it. And later in life, I think I was in college when I first stumbled on um, a copy of, I'm not going to remember the correct name of the magazine, I think it was Mechanics Illustrated, <laughs> which in 1953 did a cover feature about the making of the creature. I mean, it's a color photo of, of the creature suit on the front of the magazine. And I found that in like a, you know, a secondhand store or an antique shop or something. I bought it. And, um, uh, and that's where I found that a woman had designed the Gill Man. Melissa Patrick had had a hand at the right. writing. Very often uncredited. Say again? Oh, she's very often uncredited. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Bud Westmore took credit for it, the, the Westmore brothers being Hollywood's aristocracy of makeup departments for all the studios. So Bud Westmore uh, was the one at Universal. And I had read in Famous Monsters as a kid that Jack Kevin had had a hand in the creature. But finding this old you know, Mechanics Illustrated magazine from the early 50s is where I first read the name Melissa Patrick. And if I remember, there was even a photo of her in the magazine. And that made sense to me. Like, there was a sense of grace yeah. 
the creature is like this live it's you know built like a basketball player or a skin diver <laughs> yeah and it, it just had this really uh, believable physique that, that looked like something that was long lean and muscular and, and could really injure you if you messed with it and I don't know why the creature appealed to me so that was like I mean that was the one monster all kids go through you know being bullied or, or feeling uh, vulnerable in the big bad world and the creature was kind of you know that was my wish fulfillment there were times huh. where I, I wish I were ever like the kill me and I could protect myself <laughs> yeah if only um, I had those mitts <laughs> his hands they're so big um, yeah, but it was also cool that he had gills and he could swim underwater and he wouldn't have to come up for air and there were all these perks to being the gill man. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I finally saw them. I don't think I saw the movie until you know my college years or or, or around the time I graduated from high school and um, it just was never shown on TV where I grew up. It wasn't part of the TV station syndicate packages of movies and it wasn't part of the chiller theater package that the local TV station showed late night. Um, I, you know, I had I had the Castle Films eight millimeter cutdowns of the creature, so I'd seen those, but that wasn't comparable to watch, seeing the movie in three D. Um, and it was one of the rare monster movies that actually lived up to whatever it was I had in my head. Oh yeah. <laughs> That sometimes, so. that very often happens when you're, especially when you're a kid and you've been thinking about a movie for years before you actually get a chance to see it. And you're like, this this is the thing I was afraid of? This is the, or, you know, this is what I've been wanting to see yeah, for like yeah, 10 this years? Yeah, the thing I thought was going to be so cool, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the creature lived up to it. It was great. I mean, I, there were passages in that film that just, it's still one of my favorite uh, monster movies. Um, it's, it's, and he's still a great character. So yeah, that was my my first Fishman love. Ah. <laughs> Any uh, other Fishman to recommend? We usually do sure. a recommendation uh, section. I mean, as I was growing up, comic books were you know because the creature was a popular uh, character, and there had even been a creature for, uh, comic book from Dell Comics that came out in '64, I think '63, '62 or '63. Um, you know, there were a lot of fishmen that would pop up in comic books. They were always sort of bogus creatures. Um, and then there was the one that was in, I think it was Mad Monster Party, right? Was yeah. Was a giant monster, like a fish guy? Yeah. And that, and that, uh, that, that was a character I always liked. I think it was supposed to be King Kong originally, and they were they didn't, couldn't license Kong, so. Yeah, and they just call him, uh, It, right? Throughout that movie, or like the thing, or something. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, they named him the it. I think you're right. I think that's what they kept referring to it, to it as. Um, and there was a kid. There were also fishmen that would pop up in movies like Warlords of the Deep, which was this schlocky Vincent Price. They wished it was an Edgar Allan Poe movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the genre um, of pretending to be Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and where they they had Vincent read some Poe poem at the end of the movie or something, but that had a kind of a cool looking fish man in it. Um, I don't know. I for me, I guess it was more. Um, I guess it was more that I kind of had to 
Yeah. There weren't that many of them out there, you know? It does seem like of the, like, classic Universal Monsters, it's the most underrepresented. Well, it's also the one they, they wholly own. That's right? true, Anybody yeah. can make a werewolf movie. A Universal owns the Wolfman, but they don't own werewolves. Anybody can make a Dracula movie. Bram Stoker's Dracula's in public domain. Anybody can make a Frankenstein anything they want. But with the creature, that's their baby. They own the trademark, and that meant that there was kind of a proprietary legal structure there that other uh, filmmakers and publishers and so on sort of had to be careful not to tread too close to. And, and that may have resulted in that. I think the other thing, too, that we should mention is, I mean, it wasn't movies or comics. It was once I got old enough to read H.P. Lovecraft. Right. And I first read Shadow Over Innsmouth. I mean, then that presented a whole nother level to the archetype of the, the fish man, the fish people. And that one was even creepier because I had never, you know, it's one thing, it's one thing to read essays about Jack Arnold's films and how there's a sexual component to that whole scene with the creature swimming under um, various women right. <laughs> uh, in the lagoons. But it's another thing when you read a Lovecraft story and suddenly the whole idea of miscegenation between human beings and these, <laughs> you know, the deep ones. Right. <laughs> that, that stuff was got creepier. And also... You know, I didn't discover Lovecraft till I was 11 or 12, and by then you're old enough to start being curious about human sexuality and stuff, and that made that story really troubling. In a way that I never <laughs> thought about the Gill Man. The right. Gill Man was a chaste monster. Yeah. Uh, although uh, the kind of between Gill Man and Innsmouth is maybe uh, humanoids from the deep, where they're being explicit yeah, see, about... that didn't exist when I was a kid. That's true, yeah. I mean, Humanoids in the Deep, I saw that when it uh, when it was first in release. I saw it at a drive-in, uh, actually about, I'd say about seven miles from where I'm talking to you right now, the uh, Mount of Scutney Drive-In, which no longer exists. It's long gone. I think there's a trailer park now where the, where the drive-in was. Um, saw Humanoids from the Deep there. So, so I didn't, you know, that, that imagery that you grew up with, was yeah. never there when I was a kid. I mean, we didn't have fish rape monster movies. <laughs> <laughs> Different generation. But you did. <laughs> I did, yeah. You did. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to think of where else they would have popped up. Um, yeah, I think those were the big two. You know, Creature from the Black Lagoon, those three movies, and uh, and the Lovecraft stuff. Um, then uh, there were other examples we could bounce off each other. Everything from you know movies like Slithis to Zat. Yeah. Know, the uh, the Bloodwaters of Doctor <laughs> Z was the other title for Zat. That's the world's only walking catfish man movie. <laughs> yeah, I think the Buffy uh, monster has a bit of a catfish face, so. Maybe it's more influenced more by Zap. Face than, than the catfish monster in Zap. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a line in Zap where he looks in the mirror after he transforms, and it's like he's like, "I look nothing like a catfish, but I'm beautiful." <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I forgot the other one. There is another big one, Dennis. Is it uh, with alligators? It's the, it's the incredible Mr. Limpet. <laughs> 
with Don Knotts. That was a yeah. movie when I was a kid, you know, because <laughs> Don Knotts was, was, that was Don Knotts' like, breakthrough movie. That was his first big role after he'd been, he was still playing Barney Fife on, on uh, the Andy Griffith show. And I remember my parents taking us to the drive-in to see The Incredible Mr. Limpet. And, and it was in Life magazine. I think Life magazine had a pictorial. So, um, uh, and that was a big one. And they, that was a fish guy, you know? It's yeah. Like, Henry Limpet wanted, he, he loved fish so much, he wanted to become a fish. And just by wishing, he becomes a fish. And he ends up winning World War II for us. Who knew? It wouldn't have happened without the fishermen. That's it. And he fell in love with a fish who was kind of a fish girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's been a while a since I've seen that fish. movie. A sexy fish. That's always a disturbing concept. Um, I was also thinking about the alligator movie we saw in theaters together. Um, creature. Yeah, Creature. Uh, I loved Creature. Which the, yeah, what's uh, your memory of Creature? Well, I, I'm not going to say anything more. you got to talk about Creature. Uh, and I'll talk about Creature. I very specifically remember us trying to see it and the guy who owned the theater or the manager like not wanting to sell us tickets. Uh, so we had to convince him to like let us see this movie and pay him. Uh and then it was, I mean, it's a great movie. Uh, totally underrated. It has, uh, we were, I think, the only people in the theater. Uh, it had a very, there was like. one guy in there with us. <laughs> who showed up after, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. So there were three of us in there. And that was the week of 9-11. I mean, Creature opened on 9-11 of the year it came out, which I think was 2011. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that guy, the, he's the manager at the, uh, uh, at the uh, Lebanon uh, uh, Multiplex, Lebanon, New Hampshire Multiplex. And it's funny you mention that because I just last week went to see Annabelle Creation. Oh, yeah. And he, before I went in, he's like, I think you're going to like this one, right? He was kind of talking it up. <laughs> and I go in, and it was it was awful. It was the worst <laughs> of the Conjuring movies. And that says a lot. Yeah. Um, and I came out, and he goes, what you think? And I did like a thumbs down and then I went, it was no creature. <laughs> <laughs> and he immediately started bitching. <laughs> yeah, that was memorable. Yeah, I thought Creature was a great film. Um, in yeah. fact, I saw it by myself opening night and then I came and got you and I said, Dennis, we yeah. are going to go back and see Creature. You have to see this. And, uh, and he couldn't believe that I was bringing, that not only that I was coming back, that I was bringing somebody that I would recommend it. Um, and man, yeah, that was a great movie. I mean, the first four minutes yeah. were better than <laughs> so many recent horror movies that try to be like drive-in movies. It, it was the true, it was the true item, the real McCoy. It was, yeah. It had, a uh, Sid Haig and it had, like... Gruesome, a gruesome finale. Uh, it had incest between yeah. brothers and sisters. It was great. What else do you need in a movie? What else <laughs> do you need? I know. Yeah, it opened up with that uh, Cajun last going skinny dipping, dip, dip in half. Yeah, it's always a smart <laughs> idea to go skinny dipping in the swamp. <laughs> there you go. Um, they don't make them like that anymore. <laughs> and when they do, they poorly distribute them. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Well, that opened everywhere I mean that's what it made, was amazing about Creature 
immediately on the internet dissing it and admitting that the, not only had they not seen it, that it was a point of pride that they weren't going to see it. Yeah. And that, like, drove me nuts. That was like, <laughs> you know. So that, that was kind of willed into oblivion. Yeah. Um, and the poor filmmaker. I mean, the guy who actually wrote and directed it did an amazing job with a very meager budget. Yeah, they made a great suit. And, and then nobody like, would go. Yeah. All right. Um, so you've already mentioned your cryptid cinema. Are you working on any other new projects? Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm finally... I, I, I'm getting you and Ian Richardson and I together so we can get Monster Pie out as a book. Uh, Monster Pie is the fanzine <laughs> that you and I, Dennis, yeah. cooked up. Um, and we did two issues uh, before you uh, moved yourself across the country to a new world and a new livelihood. And uh, it's high time that we gather that material with some new stuff. So I'm, I'm working on that. Awesome. And I, I also uh, turned in a book to a British publisher. Um, PS Publications has a, a, an imprint called Electric Theater, and they've got a line of midnight movie monographs. And I did um, my first monograph for them. Uh, it's a book about David Cronenberg's The Brood. Ooh. Uh, from 1979 that's still my favorite Cronenberg film and yeah. um, I have worked really hard on it I, I put over a year of work into this book and uh, my editor Neil Snowden is very happy with what he's got so um, that should be out sometime within the next six months or so awesome um, yeah we'll promote it when it comes out other things in the, in the hopper so cool alright thanks for coming on Steve Hey, my great pleasure, Dennis. All right.